You all doing good today? Okay. Consuela asked a question yesterday. Yeah, good morning to everybody. You guys look awesome. You doing good? Good. Consuela asked a question yesterday. She said, how do I love God? Wasn't that your question? Where are you? Oh, there you are. How do I love God? I asked it wrong. No, but that's an excellent question. How do I love God? That's like an excellent question. Like, how do I just look at you and love you? How do I get to know you and love you? Even in the midst, I mean, it would be easy in the sense of if all you ever did was make cookies, that would be easy. I just love you. Like, Consuela, you're amazing. I love you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, her heart is awesome. But no, serious, when you, when you have people that you work with, even people in your family, people that, and you see their, their, you see them, say you see them a lot. Sometimes it's people that you see all the time, uh, sometimes can be more of a challenge in the natural because we see every little weakness, every little imperfection. There's ways that we pick and choose that we do and don't like about people. We're like, oh, that just bugs me when they do that. Da, da, da. You know, we've, been, we've grown up that way. We've assumed that right. From birth, that's all we've known. So how do I personally just look at people and love people? It's the gospel, and I'm going to break it down today. We're going to really look at the word. The, the, the gospel is your only answer. It's the finished work of Christ. It's the fact that Christ came, what motivated him to come, the message he sent in coming. And this is the things that I believe we're all called to meditate on and dwell on and muse on and camp on. I think sometimes we want a whole bunch of knowledge in a lot of categories and areas in the church can be distracted and become tired go and teach on this and teach on this and teach. And I don't know that we ever get established in the basic foundational truth of God's love for us through Jesus Christ and really understand it. Like how many of you all your life heard that he died to forgive your sins or died because you committed sin? But how many really heard that he died because your life's worth living? You were created to be a son. He wanted to redeem you as a son. But that changes everything. Come on, did he die to remove your sin alone or did he die to remove your sin so you could be sons and daughters? If you just think he died to remove your sin, then you're stuck continuing to be a sinner and thank God he died because at least he'll keep forgiving my sin because I'm always going to sin and one day we'll all be together. It's amazing he wants to be with me. I don't know what the, why he would want to spend eternity with me. Did you ever think that way? Did you ever used to think about God and, and this? why does he want me in heaven to be with him forever and... And I don't even really know him now. I used to think that all the time. And yet he wants me, paid a price and died for me so I can be with him in heaven forever. And yet on the earth, I felt very far from him. Did you ever think that stuff growing up? Yeah, because it was a lack of understanding. We haven't preached the whole truth. Come on. The gospel doesn't expose that you're a sinner. It removes sin from you. So you can get on being what you're created to be, sons and daughters, filled with the same spirit to raise Christ from the dead. That's why the gospel of Jesus is love. See, we don't get it if we just think of sin because we think, why would he just die for me if I'm destined to be a sinner and always just going to mess up and fail him? And it's amazing. That's an amazing love. And then we sing songs, I, I can't understand your love. And there's songs out there that say, I'll never understand your love kind of context. No, you can you know, I never know, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. I want to know how much it cost. I want to get a revelation of that. I want to see what it means to lay down your life so that I know how to lay down mine. I want to understand the price he paid so that I can follow him. I don't want to make it a mystery. Do you know what I'm saying? 
So, so we sing songs. There's, there's a lot of language out there that says, you know, why he would ever love me like this. I'm the, I hear people share a testimony. And they'll say, listen, I, man, we're loved by God. Why he would love us. I, I never could quite get a grip on it. I don't think we'll ever understand this connection of why God would love us so much. When you're talking like that, what you're doing is you're exalting all your weaknesses, imperfections and failures and saying, this is who I am. It's amazing he loves that. That's not what he loves. That's what he paid the price to remove. What he loves is what's underneath all that. <laughs> okay? Does that make sense? So, so if you're forgiven much, whoa! You see why people struggle with forgiveness and why Satan keeps them condemned and guilty and ashamed and, and questioning? Because once you really accept forgiveness... And a lot of this is personal place. We're going to go real personal and intimate today. I'm going to use some examples. But once, once you receive forgiveness, there's a love much. I'm going to show you some scripture and we're going to keep talking about this topic the, probably the whole time. And you can ask as many questions as you want. And as long as it feels corporate grace on your question, we'll just go with questions. Okay? But here's the deal. Look at the impact in my life and your life when you hear... That he died to redeem my value. He didn't just die because I'm a mess up. That changes my destiny. That means I'm not labeled as a mess up. Do I have the ability to mess up? Of course. But do I have the grace to be a son? Do I have the leading of the Spirit to do his will? Do I have the empowerment of the Spirit and the wisdom of God through the Spirit to be Christ-like? See, if you don't, if you don't see the whole reason he came... You'd be amazed. I travel the country and preach the gospel the way I see it. And I know what it's done in my life. And I have pastors behind the scenes cry and tell me they feel like they haven't preached the gospel to their people. I can't tell you how many times that has happened. Because we hear a message growing up, embrace that message and repeat it. And it hasn't produced the life. That it intends to produce because we've only preached a piece of the message and we remain sin conscious in the process. When you remain sin conscious, let me just make a bold statement here, a narrow statement. When you remain sin conscious, it's impossible to receive the love of God. How's that? You might want to record that one down if you're writing notes. I'm <laughs> that it's true. If you remain sin conscious... You disqualify yourself from love because you're fault-finding with yourself. All you see is what's wrong with you. And then it makes it impossible to receive His love or it makes God a mystery. If you try to say He loves you, what's predominant is your failing sin nature instead of His love that redeems you. See, God's not just... I was in a church one time in Biglerville years ago and a man stood up while I was preaching and I talked about something about sin. I mentioned something about our nature being changed and, and a sanctified nature and our desires and all this. And the guy raised his hand and he said, man, it was funny. I was the guest minister. It was a, it was, it was a group. It was only half this size probably. It was this real small little setting and I was asked to come up. It was a new church. They were just starting it. And this guy raises his hand and he says, man, you need to get a hold of Christ, man. When I was preaching, I thought, that's a pretty interesting comment. <laughs> I was a guest speaker. I'm there preaching. I, I mean, I felt anointed. I was <laughs> he said, you need to get a hold of Christ, man. You need Christ. And I said, that's an amazing phrase. I said, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you're talking about sin. Why would you even talk about sin? God knows we're sinners. That's why he sent Jesus. You need Jesus. You need a revelation to Jesus, man. 
That's what he said to me. And I was still puzzled a little, and I'm, I'm looking in my heart, and I went, oh, my goodness, all of a sudden I saw it. I said, Let, help me, work with me, be patient with me, sir, because you were bold enough to raise your hand and just speak that out. He didn't even really wait for me to call on him. He just kind of spoke it out. <laughs> he wanted to let me know I need Jesus. <laughs> and I said, I said, I think I hear what you're saying. I said, what you're saying is we're sinners. We're always going to sin. God knows we're always going to sin. So he sent his son to cover our sin as we sin so that one day we're able to enter into his heaven because the blood's there to wash away our sinful lives. Yeah, of course. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I went, oh my goodness, can we turn to Romans 6? And we turned to Romans 6. I said, how will we who died to sin continue in it any longer? And, and, and it says, what should we do? Sin all the more so grace abounds? Of course not. If we died to sin, how should we live? And I started to teach about what it means to die to sin, identity, sonship, righteousness. He stood up fuming mad and said, I won't sit under this kind of legalism. And he walked out of the church. I looked at the pastors and said, man, I'm really sorry. It wasn't that many folks to begin with. I didn't come to run them out. And they were weeping. I felt sad in my heart. A lady got up to sentimentally chase after him and console him. And I, I encouraged her to stop because I could tell her motive was sympathy. And she was going to kind of cater to him. Found out that he had a live-in girlfriend, sexually active, daily pot smoker, and went to the bar right after work and hung out. And yet he was a member of their church. And he was a Christian. Because his only embraced theology was, we are what we are, he accepts us for what we are, and he paid the provision in the midst of what we are to at least be forgiven one day. That is not the gospel. At all. And we've almost, that's an extreme case, but we've almost at large produced that when we fail to preach the whole gospel. When we make it all about the fact that we're sinners and not created to be sons. It's real simple. The gospel is here to restore you back to his image. Okay? The reason Christ died was to set an example. I said this yesterday or Monday. The whole reason Jesus died was to set an example and show us. Well, first he had to come as a man to defeat the devil as a man because a man lost the thing because God gave it to a man in the first place. So he came as a man. He didn't come as God. But the whole reason he came is to win that back and in the process teach us and show us and live out the example of what you and I have been created to be all along. And he is love. He's the living epistle of love. You follow his life. I can't tell you the countless times I've sat on my bed and I hope my Bible and sit it on my lap intending to read it like yesterday, opened it intending to preach. <laughs> And I'll just start thinking about Jesus, his life, his motivation. I'll start thinking about the Pharisees, the people doing all that good and them not even understanding it was good. Bickering, debating, gossiping, misidentifying, all that stuff that hurts us and breaks our hearts and makes us insecure. And I'll sit and I'll think about Jesus and how it didn't change a thing with him because he's love. I looked at him going into the wilderness and thought, man, the spirit led him in there. He didn't bicker, complain. He came out filled with the, the power and the spirit of God and started thinking of the Hebrews, the Israelites in the wilderness, complaining, bickering. Where are man? What a rotten place this is. I don't have a promised land. Where's the milk and honey? What's this silly stuff? What? 
And that mentality killed them. In the wilderness, Jesus is in the wilderness, same trials, same temptations, same devil. He comes out anointed with the spirit and power. Why? He's selfless, they're selfish. It's simple. And when you see that in your Bible, here's what you've got to do in your heart. Because you can't say, okay, today I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be selfish. Like Consuela's question, she doesn't feel like she asked it right. I think she asked it awesome. I don't know how you want to change it and ask it, but I think a lot of people would agree with that question and have that same question. So it's not like, okay, today, I, oh, you read your Bible. If I love you, I keep your commandments. Okay. I love God. I love God. I love God. Okay, today I'm going to love you. You can't do that. You love your neighbor as yourself. That's amazing. So the way we treat others a lot of times is just the expression of the dissatisfactions and things in our own heart. The healthier I get and the clearer I get when I look in the mirror, the clearer I'll see your life. I have so much time for people. I have so much grace to hang out, spend questions. And I just do. You know why? He has so much time to hang out with me. And I look in the mirror and realize that to him I am so worth his fellowship and... And I believe that, and I take advantage of that. (laughs) And it just rolls over and multiplies itself. So you don't have to try to be loving. And we're going to look at a lot of Scripture here today. You know, Pastor Dan, I always looked at sin as a burden that was just too heavy for me to carry. Okay. Can you hear her? She said, I've always looked at sin as a burden too heavy to carry. It's kind of like, what's his name that wrote that the the thing in the prison? The, the, The... Pilgrim's Progress. That's awesome. Do you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? It's pretty cool. So, so it's just so much easier to accept the freedom that, you know, that Jesus has Right. Well, there, and you even hear that preached to a degree, but you've, you have to flip it the whole way to where it enters you into sonship. In other words, when, when the sin burden, if, who's, heavy, who's weary and heavy laden, come unto me. He says, take of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because it's pretty free to live in righteousness. It's pretty free to not live in your own strength and try to work this thing out in your own strength, right? It's pretty free to live in communion with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit. It's life and peace. Okay, So you have to understand that it's more than the forgiveness of sins. Jesus dying on a cross. All my life, all I knew was, yeah, Jesus died on a cross for the remission of my sin. Well, what's that really mean? See, if we don't see the word remission, that means the removal of, as if I've never sinned. If you still maintain a sinful identity just because of your ability to miss the mark. See, we think our ability to miss the mark determines who we are. We think our ability to sin makes us sinners. That's what we think, and, and people will preach that. What are we? We keep. I'll be. I'll be straight up and honest. I have something. Your heart. Every day, and I'm like, God, it's been eight years. Come on. Your heart. Yeah, but do you see what? Watch this. Do you see the frustration that's building in you because of that? Now watch, and you're expressing it. Why? Because your heart's actually pure. You're sincere. You care about it. Because of a lack of understanding. I'm glad you're in the school. We're going to just go there today. We're destroyed for the lack of knowledge. So the frustration looks like a kind of a, a, a bad thing in a sense, but it actually reveals your heart. It reveals that you care. It reveals now in time, if you don't deal with that, if we don't get answers in a timely fashion, and you just let your frustration take you to more frustration, it can harden your heart, your heart get cold, and you say, oh, whatever, or what the... 
And then you just quit, but yet your heart's in prison suffering because deep, deep down inside, you don't want that in your life. Deep, deep down inside. That's why it's easy to cry. That's why there's tears. No, that's exactly why there's tears. You, you're on the verge of just bawling right now. No, but it's okay. That's inside you. That's a good thing. That means Consuela is alive inside. She has a heart for God. Yay! And if you're not careful, watch this. If you're not careful, you just beat yourself because this is marking you and I'm just this and come on God, when's enough enough? And when you look in the mirror, uh, because that's what you see. Instead of, Father, my heart is so for you. I want to understand this. Keep fathering me. Lead me, Holy Spirit, into truth because this is not who I am. I don't want a complete repeat performance thing. I want a complete redemption and I believe my life is worth your blood, worth your love. Thank you for fathering me. Or you're just going to look at this, look at you. Ah, this is me. When am I going to stop? When is it going to... And you're frustrated. When you're frustrated, watch this. You don't see the doorway to receive love. And you feel like that has to change before you're lovable. True? Because all of a sudden that thing is who you are. No, that thing inside your heart that I see called a hunger and desire for God is who you are, dear. That's who you are. You have to build on that. You have to grow in that. Your heart cry. Sit. Father, the temptation to be so frustrated around is judge myself. You have never judged me. You've done nothing but love me. Teach me your love. Let my heart, my understanding open up to that truth because you obviously love me. Jesus, you already died for me. The price is paid. The blood is speaking. This thing is already set. I must grow in it. Keep fathering me. Keep touching me. Keep giving me understanding. But I'm not bailing out. I'm not getting frustrated. I'm not turning tail and running. You're going to walk me through this, right? You can commune with God like that. But do you hear the life in that mentality? Versus, God, this is really cruddy. You need to change my life. I ain't getting it. My life is, and I'm just a loser if you don't. And God, I feel like a hypocrite. And God, da, da, da. And you need to change me, God. And there's a, there's a blah in that. There's the blah in that. And if you're not careful, that's just where you're camping. And then eight years could go by or eight more. And what's the toll of your heart if you continue in that false identity? After a while, your heart feels like it covers over or dies. But I promise you it doesn't because of grace. Down inside, it puts people in a prison. Down inside, it's like there's still this distant hope of this distant cry for freedom. But they, they're wearing a false identity. John. Right. To me, it's very hard for me to understand what love is. Right. Well, love most of us. Love, and it's just hard for me to understand about love. I understand that, what you're saying. That sounds, I'm not being insensitive at all with you, John, okay? My dad, I've never heard my dad say I love you, ever. My grandpa, I knew he loved me, but he never said it. He was an affectionate. I didn't have any kind of love in my background. I grew up in the city with a dysfunctional family, a lot of screaming at home, an alcoholic dad. So here's the deal. If I psychologically embrace that and compare the two, I will never compare my past life, my family, my relatives and what I didn't have and, and, and compare that. I'm not trying to find love there. I'm not, I'm not even looking for love there. Watch, stick with me. That has nothing to do with my ability to receive love, the fact that I never had that. See, because till Christ came, love wasn't. Even if some of us seem to have love, you'd be amazed 
how falsely motivated a lot of times it was. You'd be amazed how a lot of times, as quick as you could be loved, you could be cursed. And, and then it forced works into you and religion into you that if you do good, you're accepted. If you don't do good, you're cut off. And, and you know, so, so some people were just whipped into a place where they lived out of discipline because that's when it was favorable. It, it wasn't even love. But now watch this. There's a lot of people in the church that are saying now, and there's a lot of teachings out there. Even the whole teaching of the orphan spirit. And Leif Hetland, I love Leif Hetland. He preaches all the time because I think the, the fellow Jack, Jack Frost, who we were mentioning. Well, I'm going to, I, I know this is recorded and stuff, and I'm taking a risk when I say this stuff. I don't even understand that message. I'm, I'm concerned about that message. Because it gives everybody the permission to weigh God based on man and human experience in life. What's it matter if nobody ever said, I love you? Jesus came and died on the cross. That's the I love you. That's the part that was missing. He sacrificed himself for me, no matter where I was, what I was doing, who I was at the time. He came and believed the best in me and deposited his life into the earth so I could have life even though I wasn't. Even though I was lost and yet a sinner. I can't find love anywhere else. You have to settle. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. It doesn't matter if your parents never said, I love you. Watch this. We have to stop trying to find God through a rational explanation. Faith says Jesus came and died for me. That's amazing. No one ever died for me that I'm aware of. No one ever unconditionally removed every mistake I've ever made. Nobody ever purposed to give me, remember yesterday, not up to half the kingdom, but the whole kingdom. Pam, we got the whole pie. Nobody ever just gave me the whole pie for nothing, right? I have to meditate on that and understand what love is. First John, first John, John, first John 4, 9 says, in this love was made manifest. That means until this, it wasn't revealed. Hello? In this love was made manifest that God gave His only Son. You can psychologically give yourself permission to not receive the gospel because you can continue to say a year from now, if you're not careful, and anybody in this room is not careful, or anybody on the planet, a year from now, you could still be saying, well, it's just hard because I never had love in my life. Most of us didn't. That, that the gospel's greater than that. We get our eyes on Christ. We're looking at Christ. Our life's in Christ. We're through Christ, right? Watch. In this love was made manifest. Manifest means to be seen and known or realized. So the measuring stick of love is Christ crucified. So for me to begin to know God's love, I have to accept that Christ crucified is the, ex the truest expression of love there ever was. And ever will be. It's the only door. It's the only door to truth in that area. It's Christ crucified is love. That's the, that's the foundation for love. Christ, the Bible says that. Watch. That he gave his only begotten son. So in this love was made known, seen and known, that God gave his only son. Why is that love? Because there's a statement in it. I'm giving my one son because you're really all my sons and you're lost right now. But if I give my one son, you'll be found. It pleases me to bruise him because I can get the bruise and pain off of you if you'll trust that I'm your father. Call no man on earth your father. You have one father. 
Jesus' disciples teach us to pray, right? He says, our Father. When he called God his Father, they wanted to kill him. All the more their identity was so wrapped up and lost in in deception. When Jesus said God was his Father, they wanted to kill him because he made God his Father, making himself equal with God, meaning he was family. And yet when he told us to pray, he said, when you pray, John, when you pray, pray our father. Why? Because if he's your father, then you're a son. Oh, don't let father be a religious term. Father means come forth from. Watch. So I never had love in my household. I was told by my own dad, you'll never be nothing. You're a loser. What was he doing? Taking his own frustration out on me. Why would I let his sin against me? Seemingly against me, produce that in me. Why would I believe him when it hurt so bad, when it made me feel that way? Now that Christ has come, why would I take the words of my dad and the hurt of my dad? See, now that Christ came, John, it puts everything my dad was in right perspective. Now that I'm looking at my dad's situation in mine and my past relationship through the cross, now I understand where dad's dilemma was. Oh, my goodness. So all his words and all his expression was a reflection of him and his turmoil and his pain and it was being vented to me. Why am I taking that as my personal identity and my ability not to receive love because I never had love around me? I've got love now. Why? Could just live by faith because now the gospel's here. God love. God is love. It doesn't say my dad is love. God is love. Does my dad have the privilege of growing in love and becoming love and loving his own son? Absolutely. Is that dependent? Is my life dependent on him getting that revelation? No, my life's in Christ. So in this love was made manifest that God gave his only begotten son that we might live through him. And watch what that means. That means your whole identity is formed through Christ's coming. Everything about your life, destiny, purpose, motivation, value, significance... It's all because Christ came. You see how wild I get when I talk this stuff? Do you see how fired up I You have no idea how fired up I am inside. If I expressed what I feel inside, you wouldn't even be able to handle it. You wouldn't be able to even understand me. Because I feel like right now just going, ah! Why? Because faith. It's not a mystical answer. Watch this. Faith takes me there. I believe first the gospel. And all this reality starts flooding my heart. I get alone in the bedroom and believe I'm that valuable to God. In spite of every word my dad ever said through pain and hurt and failure. I believe I'm that precious. I believe he loves me. I thank him for teaching me love. I'm not trying to find God through my family experiences. My past experiences. I'm finding God through a crucified son. Do you get it? Or that... I'm not saying this to you in a mean way. Or that, if it's not dealt with, will become a natural, psychological, not that you're meaning it to be, excuse or reason. I I hesitated using that word, but I feel okay doing it. Because it's not intentional excuse. You're not hiding behind it. Some people do. You're not. Because I saw the tears in your eyes. and, and, And it's a heart cry. But it'll become a natural reason why you can't be free. And here's the dilemma. 
You can never change your past. You can never change what they did or didn't do. You're not damned there. You're not stuck there. That's not you. That's the reflection of where they were, unfortunately. Satan would love you to be a living product of that and that to reproduce itself and you just be the next generation to carry on that emptiness. That would love to just reproduce itself after its own kind and you be a splitting image of all that memory and pain. That's its intention. And the gospel's here going, No! I love you! I died for you! Your life's worth living! They might not have showed it, but I already have! You get it? (laughs) And if you allow yourself to keep giving that power and thinking that matters... See, I like to blow that thing out of the water called your past experience. You've heard me on a lot of tapes do that. I, I, I'm concerned about all the emphasis on inner healing, deliverance, and all that stuff. I personally, it's my personal opinion, I believe most of that stuff is so huge in the church because we're not living by faith, believe in the Word. We already have the answers. And we're waiting to feel different. <gasps> no, I believe different. And as I believe different, I begin to feel different. Do I feel different than I did before I was saved? You better believe it. I'm full of feelings, but I don't live by them. I am an extreme man of faith in that sense that all I need to do is find it in God's Word and it's the truth, baby. Is that why I feel like... Uh, said it's hard to know what love is. Because you're still, watch, you're still equating love and trying to find it through this. And then when you look back here, you're saying, you're saying, you're giving yourself a reason not to see. Watch, you're saying it's hard. Let me challenge you and be a friend to you, okay? No, it's not. (laughs) It's not hard for you to sit on a bed with nobody looking, close the door and just sit on the corner of that bed without any pressure on your life. Say, Father, today... I choose to make a distinction. Anything about my life or towards my life or in my life before you came, before this gospel, even though I've been saying I'm a Christian all these years, before today, anything, none of that determines my value and love in my life. The fact that you died for me, Jesus, is where I'm camping from now on. And Holy Spirit, I appreciate you bringing me a revelation of who you are in my life. Father, I believe you love me or Jesus would have never died for John. I believe you've washed away all my sin and forgave me. That's what we're failing to do because we don't feel like that's true. So we're waiting to feel like that's true to get alone and have that kind of expression with God. So let me be honest with you. When's the last time you've just got alone and opened your heart and said, Father... Thank you that you love me. You made me precious in your sight. That you saw my life was worth dying for. That you saw fit to love me and let that love never fail. God, I stand clean and righteous in your sight because I'm predestined to be a son and you saw fit to redeem me as one. So a son I shall be. When's the last time you prayed that? Never. Now watch. That's not, that's not a bad thing what he's saying. He's just being honest. You'd be amazed if we'd go around the room and people were honest in this room. How many people have never even thought that way, let alone prayed that way? That's why we're having this school. Everybody always tells me things about my own personal life, and I don't quite get it because it's all I've seen since I was saved. But I've realized, I've come to realize that not a lot of people see what I'm really trying to say. 
and we're just waiting to wake up one day and feel better or some rosy song playing in our heart or something. The bottom line is you give yourself to the gospel. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've sat on my bed, drove in my car, looked in the mirror at my own amazing face. (laughs) How's that, Consuelo? (laughs) See how free the gospel will make you? And watch. And proclaim truth over my life. Because this other mentality that John, it's not rare. We're not picking on John in any way. That's a common mentality, but it has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with emotions, psychological reasoning, and feelings. It has nothing to do with truth. I can tell you personal stories. I do on some tapes. I, I, I talk about different things and experiences in my life and how we handle them. What, watch this. Let's just say you were sexually abused when you were a little kid. Okay? Can we get hot and topical right now? Is it Okay. And then we got to get back. I got to get back to this one area, but we will. Yeah, good. Yeah, he just, this is important. No, it's all right. We're, I'm having a conversation. Because I, I know there's something important, and now I feel like I've started to feel like I'm drifting, but I'm not. This is somebody needs this, vitally needs this. Let's say you were sexually abused when you were little, and it was a repeated thing. And you might have even in your little child heart cried out God help me don't ever let that happen again and it still happened these things are real we ought to talk about and then all of a sudden you, you, you're thinking God just forsook you etc 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 and all of a sudden your identity is through that incident and your whole life you're in a cage because now this is who you are. This thing speaks to you. It identifies you. It destroyed your honor, your integrity, your heart and trust toward God and all this stuff. And at some point the gospel comes with understanding and you start understanding and seeing and you're able to see who you really are. And, and the gospel says, and your mind will go, yeah, but then why did God allow? Or why did God or how come I was still touched strong then? If I was so pressed then, if he died for me, then how come I had to go through that with my uncle, etc., etc., etc.? You have to understand at some point, this gospel is the truth about you no matter what. You don't even have all the answers to all those questions. I put it in a general place. Sin is trying to destroy us and scar our hearts from the time we're born. So that when we hear the good news, there's nothing good about it. Because we're so trashed by life. You hear me? It's the plan of the enemy. Watch this. So let's say I was touched strong as a little boy. What's that have to do with anything? Now that Christ is... Because see how weird I get? (laughs) What's that have to do with anything now that Christ has come? Because when Christ comes and I get born again, that boy dies. And the, the man that's been waiting to live finally resurrects from the dead. And I live for the first time in my life. So all of a sudden, the, the, the man that would have touched me wrong, or the person that would have touched me wrong, all of a sudden I see that in a healthy and right perspective. It's a man void of truth, perverse, deceived, and, and possibly destroyed if truth doesn't come to their life. 
And you think I'm going to harden my heart because someone did something to a four-year-old boy now that I'm 40 and I understand truth? Are you kidding me? I feel so sad for a person in that position that has the ability to violate someone's innocence. Man, it'd be better a millstone hung around your neck and you cast into the sea than you cause one of these little ones to stumble. That ought to put a trepidation in us for the souls of men. You say, are you kidding me? He deserves hell. No, he doesn't. He deserves truth and his eyes to be illuminated or Jesus would have never died on a cross. And see, if you can't get your heart in that place, you're having a real hard time receiving this and even letting him love you because you're having a hard time seeing the value of people you'll never see. If you're looking through that eye towards others, you have that same place in you with God. I promise you, there's a hindrance. No, the gospel heals all that. The gospel shows me how God sees me and sees my life. And you say, well, Dan, you never touched a little child wrong. No, but that doesn't mean I can't see the problem with somebody that does the value of their life, the prison they're in, and have compassion on them. Because I've sure missed the mark and needed the blood. I'm not comparing sin among sin. We all have need of the blood, right? So it just means somebody's lost in the capacity that they've been empowered through deception to do something. Our war is not flesh and blood. It's deception and perversion and sin through the enemy's power. Right? So when Christ comes, now that I see the gospel, now that God's saying, Dan, I know you got all these feelings. I know you were this. I know you were that. I know you've been through this. I know your daddy never told you he loved you. I really do love you. I know you don't understand where was I and all that stuff. But I was on the cross at the right hand, pleading in your behalf. That's why grace is illuminating your heart in this hour. I've reached you. There's people interceding and praying. I'm aware of that in my life now, that people were praying for me. And I've reached you, Dan. Welcome home. Welcome to the truth. And all of a sudden, I let him love me and forgive me for the man there was. I can't even tell you how wretched I knew my heart was the night I got saved. I I saw my heart was so wretched and self-centered and self-serving. I was so wretched. And I was like, oh my God, my, my life is pitiful. And that was only for a moment, and since then I've been a son. It was important for me to have that experience because then I understand that it's just the deception of sin in every man. So what empowers a man to touch a child wrong? Sin, the perversion of sin. Do I judge him for that and let my heart stay bound and locked and self-righteous and judgmental? Or do I understand there's the peril of sin working in people at the cost of other people to reproduce them after its own kind? Where do you draw the line and stop that whole process? By rising up and realizing, wow. You see what I mean? And and all of a sudden, the gospel identifies you. So all of a sudden, you're not a little boy that was touched wrong. You're a grown man that was touched right by the gospel and grace and mercy. And you've taken on a brand new identity. And your honors are stored in your integrity because, oh my goodness, you've been separated from sin. Come on, this this is... Faith takes you there. Or you're letting your heart be hard and you're waiting for vindication and justice in something that can never be changed. And you're locking your identity into the former days and who you were, not who God's trying to cause you to become through the new truth that you're hearing. So that's where faith is decided, huh? So you either lock into a wrong identity and demand the right to have that right at the cost of truth that makes you free. Or you embrace the truth that makes you free and everything else dies. I am so like, like, watch this. I, I hope you can grasp this. I'm going to trust graces on this. The fact that my dad was an alcoholic my whole childhood, and it seems like in the natural, all those years were lost and all that. It doesn't matter at all. 
I'm losing nothing. It doesn't matter. It's frail and pale in the light of knowing Him. But if I let that have a voice, I'll never be released to knowing Him. But now that I've been released to knowing Him because I've made that not matter by faith, as I get to know Him, that thing is so, so, so... It's nothing. I don't even feel like I lost anything. Why? Because grace is greater. Truth is greater. Or I'm sitting here with a sad heart wishing to get those years back that were stolen. And I got them all back and plus. Because I have a father. And I am so loved and so free. And now you always hear me preach it. I'm free from me. That's the first person you're free from. See, if you don't get free from you, you're a prisoner. Does that make sense? Because then people owe you. People can still hurt you. People can still abuse you. I'll get a whole congregation to look me in the eyes and say, I don't even understand what you mean, emotionally abuse me. It's impossible to emotionally abuse me. You can't. (laughs) That's silly to me. Why? Because I know who I am and why. So if you're living in a way that would agree with or identify with emotional abuse in the world's terms... I would just understand your weakness, some kind of bondage. I would feel sorry for you. And in in my heart, I would feel sad and I would pray for you. But how can you emotionally abuse me when my identity is sealed in him and I know who I am and I'm having the time of my life? And you, you, how, why would you have that much power in my life when I'm called to be Christ-like? Why would you be that barometer? It's only what I would fail to see then. Then that means I'm still expecting from you to make me complete. I still need of you to treat me right, so I'm okay. See, we're still trying to find love in all the wrong places. And all these things are an evidence that we failed to just let him be the source of love. You get it? That doesn't mean you don't have the ability to love me. I'll receive love from you. But I won't receive pain or hurt from you. You can sharpen me, encourage me, edify me, cheer me on. There is nothing you can take from me. Come on, if that wasn't true, I'd be in trouble because I live on the earth too. It's my perspective that keeps me. Do you get it? Are you all all right? Guys are looking. I'm going to make this quick comment. I saw a couple hands. I I, I need to make this quick comment though, and, and I don't know who we need to ask questions, but there's a couple scriptures we have to go to soon here. You have to understand... When Jesus came in Matthew 16, he said, If any man come after me, in Matthew 16, let him first deny. So if you come to God, you have to first deny yourself. That's how you truly come to God. Now, you can come to God with a lot of questions and issues and unresolved conflicts in your mind and soul. But at some point, that whole process needs to take you to the place where you realize, wait a minute, I'm my biggest problem because of the way I see, expect, demand. I have a lot of rights if I'm not denying myself. So all of a sudden I have a right to have an opinion about Dean Mummer. All of a sudden I have a right to view John Zelmer however I choose. All of a sudden I have a right to have first impressions and maybe draw close to some that I feel comfortable with and avoid those who I'm not totally sure about. That's what it means to have rights. All of a sudden you're driving the car and you're living the way you've always lived, but you've incorporated a Christian confession into your life. But you're still full of rights. 
So people can still violate you, offend you, break your heart, and you're still just Plato or putty in the hands of men. No, I'm Plato or putty in the hands of the great potter. <laughs> when you're in the hands of men, it doesn't make a masterpiece. <laughs> when you're in the hands of Almighty God, you come out sculpted, baby. <laughs> Looking good, meat fit and ready for the master's use. Okay? Come on, this thing is real. If you come into Christianity holding on to rights, you'd be greatly disappointed, deceived, hurt, and you'll almost embrace the idea that you could find fault with God in time. In time, you could put Him in court in your mind and find Him guilty. Because you're still a God unto yourself. You have rights. You're still driving the car. Does this make sense? You have to be very careful. I see you, Debbie. I'll get you. Uh, You have to be careful in the sense that you understand that you're surrendering those rights in a place of prayer. You're denying yourself in that way. Father, I have no need for many men except that I would love them and see their value. Watch. Let me take you into a quiet place. Nobody in the world looking but you. And you're sincerely looking at Jesus' life, deciding to follow him. Father, no longer am I giving to offense. And no matter what the circumstance, it's not warranted. It's never acceptable. Hurt and anger, strife and frustration. They're no longer a part of my life. They're not in my destiny. They're not in the identity of who you are in me because you're perfect love. And I thank you, Father, that you're molding my heart in agreement with yours, that you're causing my eyes to look through your truth and your wisdom. God, and you might find yourself in the middle of that prayer just down on your knees submitted. And Father, I just thank you that you're forming love in me. I'm choosing love. I'm letting love rule and reign. I'm not letting any other mindset, any other feeling, any other emotion. I was created for your image and your image I shall manifest. Father, what men say or don't say isn't the issue. What you have proclaimed through Jesus Christ is my truth. See, I pray that way. I sit alone and pray that way. Most of us think prayer is praying to God about what concerns us. And a lot of times we get trapped in this. Seeing ourselves way far from truth and then all we pray about is what's wrong with us and God changing what's wrong with us. And it actually creates a stronghold in you of what's wrong with you. It falsely identifies you. It's kind of like peace. I don't feel peace. Oh my God, I don't feel peace. Pray for me. I need to feel peace. And then I grab Brian. Pray for me, brother. I need peace. Come on, Brian. Pray. Pray, brother. Pray. And then he's praying for peace, peace. And now I'm going... Okay, I'm trying to feel peace. Oh, fellas, pray for me. I had Brian pray. I don't know where he's at with God, but pray for me because I need peace. (laughs) The next thing you know, for weeks I'm at the altar. I need peace. I need peace. And the Bible says you have peace with God. Here's what you're doing. You're waiting. You're living sensual. You're being mystical. You're waiting for some thing to fall on your lap called the package of peace. Oh, Peace comes through knowing you've been made right with God. When you're weighing your life for faults and weaknesses, then you're already thinking you're not right with God. We have good news for you. This doesn't give you permission to remain the same. You guys know I don't live a loose life or preach a loose gospel. I'm called the holiness, but holiness comes out of knowing I've been made right. I'm not trying to be holy. That's impossible. Grace empowers you to live a holy life because your heart gets in agreement with God. But the first thing I do is know that He came for me while I was yet a sinner. So if He came for me while I was yet a sinner, then anything that I stumble in along the way sure doesn't bother Him because I was a sinner when He came for me. Am I a sinner now? Absolutely not. I'm a son. 
What are you saying? You're perfect, brother? I never said that. I said I'm a son. He's perfect. And his love is perfect. And I'm growing and it's making me pure and pure and pure. And the pure in heart shall see God and righteousness is producing holiness in my life. And I'm not trying not to sin. I'm being a son. And being a son empowers me to live like a son. And it's all I can see, guys. I can't see anything else. I can't. If I would stumble today in any way, I can't see anything else. Being a son makes me run to him and jump on his lap and, and thank God for who I'm becoming and that that is not who I am in him and who he is in me. And I thank you for your amazing love and how the blood washes me and how clean I remain in you. God, you're making me wiser, sharper, and smarter. Thank you for the light that's in my life. You respond that way if you stumble. What other way is there? What, dumb me? Oh, you ought to know better by now. Well, you've been a Christian for 10 years and you're still doing that. You are so, you'll never get it. That's the counsel that goes through our minds. I bet it doesn't come from wisdom. And we think by holding ourselves that accountable and oh, you dummy, and when are you ever going to, you need to get it. Why? And all of a sudden, all these voices, well, I don't even think you really do love God. Well, you say you love God, but if you love God, your life wouldn't be like that. Well, why, 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 why? Now Satan's right in there and you don't even can't even separate. It just sounds like one big voice, your mind. But it doesn't produce life. And it doesn't help your identity. So even if I stumble, I run to him and leap on his lap. Why? Because he's my father. I'm his son. I have a relationship with him. Why do we run and hide and put fig leaves on and try to cover our sin when you can't? And why do we live naked and ashamed when he's robed us and clothed us so beautifully? <laughs> okay? What he did identifies me, not what I have done. And I camp there and I live there till that becomes my stronghold. And I don't let anything keep me from receiving His love in that truth because He came in the first place while I was yet a sinner. I mean, you've got to take your time with this stuff and think about this stuff. You and I intended wicked things at times, evil things, selfish-driven things. You and I were a mess before He came. Totally a mess in our hearts. You might think, well, I'm still a mess. no. Your heart's touched by truth and your heart cares. It's what we highlighted in Consuelo a while ago. She might be thinking in this one area, I'm still a mess. No, your heart has been touched by the gospel. Your heart cares. There's truth in you. You have to learn to let truth be your best friend and build on it and start appreciating what God's doing in your heart. You know, Lord, years ago, I didn't even care about this. The only reason I even think it's an issue now is because truths come to me. And, and the truth is, I don't want to live less than you. I don't want to live in weakness. I don't want to live in a continuing kind of cycle of what we would call sin. I just want to live as your girl. And I just thank you that you love me and you see my life as precious and valuable. And you're working a wisdom in me. You're working a love in me. You're working a truth in me that is my freedom. And I thank you for the way you love me. See, if you don't start doing that, you'll never see the value in your own life. And it'll be like you're crying out for God to love what you don't like because you're not separating the two. Or you'll want everybody to appreciate what you don't even like. And then the more people affirm you, the more you have the ability to think there might at least be hope for me because inside you've judged yourself, you've weighed yourself for weakness, and now you're in survival mode and you want everybody to appreciate what you don't even like. That's why people create weakness and insecurity. That's why people serve in ministries to get attention and they do twisted things for twisted reasons. They're not doing it under the Lord and to serve their brethren. They're doing it for acknowledgement and esteem. Why? Because their esteem shattered because when they look in a the mirror, they go, oh, you are such a loser. 
Because that thing in their life, bam, 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 is telling them, that's who you are. That's who you are. It's not who you are. thing makes your heart cry. It's not who you are. Man, if I found myself in a place like a weakness or some kind of cycle, that is, not so, that is so not who I am. I am your son and I want to be. And I receive your love and I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation because in it righteousness is revealed. And you qualified me to be yours. And I thank you. You're working a wisdom in me and you're pouring yourself into me in a way that my life is lived righteous. I accept that I've been made clean and I thank you that my actions are clean because you have cleansed me from within. There's ways to pray and talk to God continually like that. I've sat on the bed for long periods of time and start meditating and musing on this and the Holy Spirit would bring Jesus' life and scriptures in the Bible to me and I'd have it open on my lap and never read it. <laughs> See, now I preach that way. <laughs> but I've read it a lot but there's times where it just comes alive and it speaks and He connects all the dots. Yeah. Or I'll read one little verse and it'll take me on a journey of just, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> But see, faith takes me there. You might be talking yourself out of going there because you're waiting to change first. The gospel changes you. You're changed along the way. You get it? I had two hands over here. Debbie was up for a long time. I was just, I told you I'd get to you. And then Jessalyn. Jessalyn. Yeah, I got it. I understand what you're saying. And I'm in the in the places of what you're saying. But I ask God to reveal to me how I, who I am and how I come out and where I need to change. And I had a circumstance that happened yesterday where there was, a, was in a nursing home, there was this old lady in the chair, she had gray hair, she was crying, and I said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, what's your name? And she says, Graham. And so I'm thinking, gosh, that's, you know, I'm not judging her. I'm just thinking G-R-A-H-A-M. I'm thinking, wow, that's a guy's name. wonder what her history is, her story and all that. And then this morning I woke up and said, why do you think her name was Grandma? So that's my husband. He says, pride for Grandma. And sometimes I understand the scriptures like that. And I will, right. or I come out and I say something and I mean it. In but that was, a, that was a slight misunderstanding or a presumption in your mind just based on natural wisdom. When you see that in the morning, it's not that you sinned. You didn't sin when you did that. It's just something you interpreted a certain way. You thought, mm, but your heart's full of compassion. You're wondering what the story is in her life. It makes you love her and care for her. You're not, it's not a bad thing in that sense. The only thing you want is you just don't want to be presumptuous. You don't want snap judgments in the sense of you want to hear clear. You want to discern rightly. So when you have something come up like that in the morning, oh my goodness, here's how some people do. I'm not saying you did this, but there's people probably in this room that can relate. I, I just don't ever want to point fingers. I say if the shoe fits, slip it on and then kick the thing right off and say that's not my shoe <laughs> but you wake up and get an understanding like that and some people go oh my god I thought I've grown more than that. I can't believe I still have judgments like that in my life. What is going on? God, I thought I knew you. And it actually works in insecurity or they start praying from a place of works and it's a demeaning place rather than watch father this is going to help everybody if you listen this is really healthy father I so thank you for the light in my life that's teaching me what I'm seeing right now and the reason I'm being able to see it, I know, is because the lights touch my heart. You're purifying me, God. I don't ever want to be in a snap judgment, presumptuous. I don't even want to hear things for what they're not. 
I want to walk in your wisdom and I am so thanking you right now that you're working that in me because I don't want to repeat that. I don't want to hear someone's name and think what it's not and start touching them for what I'm assuming. I want to be in the know because you love those people and you're in the know and if you're in the know, I ought to be seeing I'm your girl. And you just start, but you have to be careful even with the prayers of Holy Spirit showing you what's wrong with you, things that, you have to be careful that you aren't so introspective that you're writing a negative resume. That you're praying that because you believe you're so messed up. There's a lot of people that do that. They're always praying for God to change them because they believe they got a lot of issues. You're not going to change focusing on what's wrong with you. Grace changes you when you focus on what's been made right through the crucified son. You have to grow in the answer. You don't troubleshoot. You're not problem shooting. You're building in the answer. The truth makes you free. Not your natural reality and focusing on it. Does this make sense? It's the truth that makes you free. But the truth is he loves you. Some of us need to just camp there for like the rest of our lives. <laughs> Father, you love me so much. My life is so worth dying for to you. And you, by your Spirit, are teaching me that reality. You're teaching me the value of my life. I'm open for that. You're not a fool. You wouldn't have put your son on the cross if I wasn't your will. If there wasn't a big yes and amen and a smile toward my life, you'd have never went through what you went through if you didn't love me. That's your prayer life, buddy. See, it's not hard. Faith takes you there. Or your mind determines your life instead of your heart. Now, I'm not picking on Consuelo either, but she opened up her heart earlier. Watch this. Your heart is easy to see. We all felt compassion for you when you were talking a while ago. And those tears and stuff. I wasn't trying to make you cry, but what I was saying is it's your heart that's alive. So you don't live here. This is trying to keep this in jail. You follow what I'm saying? Come on. Yeah. This is keeping this in prison. And the prison door, he said, I've come to open prison doors. Why? Because he's come to make your perspective brand new and put truth on your scenario and get human wisdom out of you so you could live out of your heart. Because a man believes with his heart, not his mind. Your heart is beautiful. It's perfect. It is. It cares. I love it. <laughs> so I, I can see right into people's hearts by their expression, their emotion. It's easy. We don't judge ourselves based on where our heart wants to take us. We judge ourselves based on how our life and our performance has been. It's a misnomer. I can't change my performance without him changing it through me. Do you understand? You're awesome, buddy. Well, how inconspicuous was that? That was cool. <laughs> he's got the big word break written. I said, help me with the time today. And he's like... <laughs> He's signing me. It's so cool. Thank you. You had a question. Jessalyn from Chicago. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Like just thinking of him as my father, you know, like really my father. And mm-hmm. 
Like every time I meet him, I have like so much pain and loss just bubbling up like to the surface that I can't even. Right, if that's a supernatural experience, dear, there's a place where God will, will just move it away. I'd never encourage people to go looking for pain and loss or feeling like I'm just denying pain and loss. In the natural, I have, you guys don't know my life either before Christ. I have so many reasons I could list why I should have pain and loss. Watch this and, and just bear with me. I don't, I, don't, I don't think you're missing anything. For one thing, let me just start with what she said in the beginning. I'm not encouraging you to just speak the word over your life. I'm encouraging you to enter into relationship with God the Father through the word. And personally relate to him and talk to him and commune with him. Not just quote and confess the word over your life. I know that's taught in the church. Personally not a fan of that. I'm a fan of communion and knowing him. You can confess the word over your life and it not be your reality. And then you question the word or wonder what you're doing wrong and throw yourself right into works. Now watch this. I'm real adamant, so you're asking a guy that's real adamant. I'm not being insensitive. The gospel is so healing, so liberating. It's like physical loss. Is physical loss real? We'd be fools to deny the sense of physical loss. I just lost both my grandparents in a three-week period just in the last month. And they were 99 and a half and 92. And uh, storybook grandparents, awesome grandparents. The gospel is so conditioned. Is there physical loss? Yeah. Is there, is there a day maybe around the corner where I'm going to feel like sad? Sad because they're not there and I can't just stop in their house and say, hey. Probably. Right? But watch this. The gospel is, puts things in such a perspective. There is such a thankfulness to life. Those things that bubble up and try to make us hurt. And, and it's, it's not that we have to go through them one by one. That's where a lot of the inner healing and deliverance programs come from. We think we have to go through them. The, the gospel truth, honey, heals and restores your heart. So when you're in a place seeking God, just, just it sounds personal. It sounds healthy to me when you shared it. And then these things start to bubble up. Father, I thank you. You're my answer for everything. And all of a sudden you realize why you're crying or that pain and where it's connected. I think all that the Lord wants to do in that place of communion is put a right perspective on it all so your heart's not in a hidden pain. He just put a right perspective on it. I couldn't even cry when my grandparents died. I'm not telling you not to cry when your grandparents die. But I couldn't even cry. I was so thankful that they lived for as long as they did. And how many people, almost 49, have both their grandparents? Some people don't even have their parents when they're 49. So I'm, my heart is a burst with thanksgiving. Now, I ended up doing both their gravesides. My granddad was tough. Because there's physical loss and I love them and they're amazing. I had to stand there and do my granddad's graveside. And, and I said, I just want you to all know. And I didn't feel like I had to cry the whole time since he had passed. But that was in me, the ability to cry and physical loss. And I had to face that, but not apart from the gospel. So there's some traumas in our life. There's some things that when you're in communion and fellowship with God that could bubble up and pain. I would encourage you not to feel like, look, I just so wanted to just believe this as if you're making the gospel a fairy tale. And now you're in denial and you really do have issues. That's a psychological thought. I don't I don't think that's the reality at all. I think the gospel heals you of everything. Old things pass away and all things become new. So if there is subtle hidden things and things you come into face to face with, the only, it's a, what a safe place if they bubble up. Why would they bubble up when you're communing? 
because there's a grace in that place for your perspective to shift and you to see it for what it really is and, and God begin to separate you, honey, from that and realize, you know what? I really am okay because you've come. You've rescued me. And I thank you. And you could even release blessings and prayer and release faith in that place. But if you find yourself in that position, you ask Holy Spirit how you're to respond and where you're to go. You just have that in your heart and he'll take you there. I don't think it's a bad thing. And I don't think it's that you suppressed your realities. See, that's just all psychological. No, I don't think so. I, I believe God's shifting your perspective to see your life through his eye. He doesn't want you hurt and broken. There's nothing in my life that should be allowed to just hurt and break me and cause this pain. And I hear preachers talk, hey, we all have that. It's the reality of life. And if you say you don't have it, you're a liar. You're in denial. I hear sermons like that. And I'm thinking, well, then I guess I'm probably a liar. <laughs> but I got on my graveside of my grandpa and I said, I'm not standing here as a pastor. This was last minute. My Aunt Elaine asked if I would do this. And I'm standing here as a grandson. And man, I started crying. Because I love granddad. He's the best. And he's my buddy. When my dad, you want to talk sentiment for a little? When my dad was in the position he was, grandpa was there. That means something to you. See, I could cry. There's emotion in me right now. God just has things all in your life. You don't even realize the graces. We're so busy seeing what was wrong. We miss the thankful side of how we got through. And, and maybe we aren't just survivors. Maybe there's a grace in our life that's got us to where we are today. Maybe we aren't just survivors. Maybe we're overcomers. Just maybe. Just maybe I read that somewhere. So don't be afraid of that is what I'm saying. And don't feel like, don't embrace the belief that, oh, I've just come into this a certain way and I failed to face the reality of my real heart and real life. I, I would encourage you not because then you're going to give permission for things of the flesh to just keep dominating. You're going to have to try to walk yourself through things one by one. Or it, what it does is it throws your identity into crisis. See, a healthy identity is what every one of us should cling to. My life's in you, Jesus, all these things, even anything harbored, anything, you're greater than all of it. And I thank you, you're taking my perspective and rising it above in truth. Anything I would be is just a mere man or a woman. So I cried at grandma's too. I did three weeks later, she passed. She, they were married 71 years and lived in the same house the whole time. <laughs> same house the whole time. And she said, you know, it's just not the same that Carl's not here. She said, I just... Uh, it's just so different, she said, and I just don't know if I even want to just keep going on. I almost feel like I just want to be with Carl. And, and she wasn't herself. She had a sadness in her heart. And we were all like, I don't think Grandma's going to be around too much longer. It's amazing the will of man and how a man, a woman can lose sight of purpose or value. And I sat and I stirred purpose in her a little one day and cheered her on in purpose. And about four days later, her lungs just stopped. They just shut down. She, she passed in no time. They called emergency, rushed her to the hospital. She was passed before she got there. She didn't want to be here anymore. She's 92 and she figured, hey, I think I'm done. <laughs> the natural reality that she won't be sitting there at my parents when we're all there at Christmas and I won't be fixing them a plate and walking it over like I always did and like we always talked and sat there. And that day's gone. I'm so thankful. Treasures, thankfulness is a beautiful thing. I would encourage you in something, Jessalyn. Your heart's for God, and God's for your heart. 
And I know there's some things, just because you're talking personally, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way back there Monday, sharing your... There's things designed against every one of us to get us to think through a mind that produces no life, a mindset that steals what's right in front of us. And I'm actually excited for you. You could tell that on Monday. Could you? Could you tell I was excited for you? Always excited. No, no. I was excited for you. And I expressed that strongly. And watch this. You weren't even all that excited for you. (laughs) I am extremely excited for you. I looked at her and I said, Oh, you are so done. I said, You don't even have a chance. I said, You're going to get it. I was just having fun. There's things because I understand kingdom is seed form. The gospel seed form. Things come as innocent seed form. We tend to miss that by faith and the power of the seed, and we get focused on what seems to be our present reality. The just live by faith. Just excited. Things are going to work. Amen? When you get alone, don't be bothered by that stuff. You turn that, you, you look. In fact, I'm going to pray something over you right now. Can we pray for her right now? This would be good. Father, we're just establishing this right now in faith and a grace for Jessalyn because she's precious to you. She is worth the blood of Jesus Christ to you. That is affirmed through the word we established that Monday. And we thank you that when those things try to well up or anything that was hidden or underlying or even a thing she suppressed, even if she suppressed it and denied it, but it's still there, we ask that in that time of your presence and communion, you would just bring it into gospel light. That you would cause this young lady's perspective to look through the eye of truth in such a way that you would establish freedom in her life. And that she doesn't have to sell anything that's here short and, and not be afraid of the power of God. And wow, this is something good I hear for you. That you, you, you wouldn't have to be afraid and question the ability to just be free and be okay. And, and even what you've seen in my heart and life, it's amazing if you'd know the story of why she's in this school. But, but everything that brought you to this school that you saw and affirmed is for you, kiddo. It's for you. And you don't have to be afraid to believe that. And I just release you right now to believe that. I just thank you, Father, that she will not sell short, way short. If it doesn't build up, edify, or encourage her life, I thank you she sees it's not the mind of God. And I thank you, Father, that everything she sees in others that she thinks is amazing, she begins to see as her own destiny. And I thank you there's nothing that can cause her to be afraid of accepting that. She qualifies, she's equipped, and she's precious in your sight. And we just bless you. You are absolutely precious to God. I bless you, and I release you into that truth. And I thank you, Father. This train is rolling in her life and heart, and ain't no stopping it. You have come to redeem a daughter. And I thank you for it. And you will swallow up every fear, every apprehension, every mindset that says contrary. You are crushing it because of your unfailing love and the value she possesses to your heart. In Jesus' name, I bless you, honey. I bless you and release you into that freedom. And ain't nothing stopping it. You are a daughter of the King. I bless you. In Jesus' name. Okay, go take a break, guys. Consuela, did you want to share what is on your heart? She had a testimony. You want to stand up so everybody can hear you? Stand up and say, this is me. God loves me. I'm amazing. Well, that's really something here needs to hear this testimony. I really feel it. Um, I was one of those little girls you were referring yep. to with a crappy dad. And there was pornography. There was drugs. There was alcohol. I mean, my dad was horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And he did all that stuff, you know, and so what? 
Okay, I got saved in like 2001, and my heart cry was, of course, I wanted to get over all that garbage. It wasn't that heavy on me. It really wasn't. It's like God's grace had, you know, just kind of had me before I even knew he had. God had me before I even knew it. But um, I started praying for God to help me see people the way he sees people. And I honestly, heartfelt,ly prayed for my father to get saved. And just a real long story short is I, my dad could walk in this room today and I could hug him. I don't have any bad feelings towards him whatsoever. And I actually feel sorry for him. Right, right. His life is, he's, yes. he's destroyed a lot of lives, but the, the sad part for me, for him, is he has four kids, he's got like ten grandchildren, and none of them want anything to do with him right. because of how miserable and horrible he is. But my heart goes out to him because I wish he would surrender so he could enjoy some life. I mean, he's got very few years left. He's like really... Right. But according to my mom, who doesn't have anything to do with him anymore, he's still the same. And one day I prayed. I said, and this was probably way before. I said, God, how does... Oh, when John Burns died. Anyway. Some of us know. I said, God, somebody like John Burns or Pastor Jack. Mm. People that are so good to the world. How did they die? But somebody like my father still lives. And you know what God said to me? He said, Consider because I love him so much. And I'm going to give him as much time as I can for him to get saved. What I wanted to say is, I really felt like somebody in here needs to know that it really is possible for God to take all of that and actually make you have compassion for that abuser. And you don't have to. And I tried to revisit those days. And people said, oh, you're so lucky. And how are you so strong? And I'm like, you know, this has nothing to do with me. And God did it when I wasn't even looking. He well, here's what I'm hearing too. When it's not even just a magical eraser, even though that feels that way, it's a perspective that changed in you. In other words, I understand, but you were asking him to help me to see people like you do, and she started to feel compassion for the very one that seemed like the violator of her life. Why? Because she realized he's the one in desperate trouble. I'm here with Christ. The Spirit of God lives in me. What he did hasn't captivated me. I'm not a prisoner to what he did. I've been chained to righteousness. I'm born again. I'm a woman of God. And all of a sudden she realizes all these people in his life, they don't even want nothing to do with him. He's subverted his whole destiny, his whole identity. Years have been robbed. All of a sudden through love, through love you begin to see where a person really is. And it's not what they did to you and against you. It's how they're deceived and what they're being robbed of. And and isn't that the heart of God towards us? Picture God on the throne watching us going... Man, I can't believe this. Duh. I created them in, in my image, and look what they're doing. Oh, look what they're doing. Oh, there they go again. <laughs> Holy Spirit, didn't you whisper to them yesterday not to? Oh, I thought you did. I thought you probably did what I had asked. Yeah, duh. Can you picture him like that? Come on. When we bring God into the equation, it sounds so silly. But when we make it us, it doesn't seem silly. Because we don't realize we're created in His image and we're to manifest Him. So all the, now, it's an excellent it testimony. Something, and I know there's somebody in here that really needs to hear this. Right. It wasn't something that I did. It wasn't something no, no. that I camped in. It was, you know what I think it was? It was just my heart surrendering. It's your willingness. And it's hurt people. And I've 
Absolutely. Remember when I shared about the rights thing? If you don't surrender your rights, if Consuela would have held on to the right to have a right in that situation, your heart couldn't be free. And the reality is there's a lot of things she saw respond because of that that weren't healthy and bad and people's lives affected. But watch this. If we embrace the right to be hard and hurt, we're assuring that those things remain. We're assuring that they stay alive. When you surrender and you bring mercy and grace and love into it, then you release this healing process. Remember how God said, the, uh, Jesus said, the way the Father sent me, I send you, and then he breathed Holy Spirit on him. And he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they'll be forgiven. But if you retain the sins of any, they'll be retained. That's a very peculiar section of Scripture because you never have permission to be in unforgiveness. It actually says if you see someone sinning and forgive them, they'll be forgiven. That actually means, that doesn't mean they don't need to get saved and repent in their own heart. But God will, will treat them with grace. They won't be cut off. If you continue to see their value, then a grace to redeem their value will continue to come upon their life. Yeah. If you lock up your heart, retain their sin, and shut up your heart, where is mercy going to flow from? If we're the body of... So when do you ever harden your heart to men? When do you ever hold people accountable to the place where you'll cut their identity off because God never cut ours off? Do you understand? So if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. Then the way of mercy will be seen and the, and the goodness of God and they'll see our good works and they'll, wow, we even give a cup of cold water to our enemy and put hot coals upon his head. We pray for those who persecute us. We actually give to those who despitefully use us. We overcome evil with good. We tone down a harsh word with a kind word. Why? Because we're not alive unto ourselves. We're alive unto the image of God and we're manifesting God to the world. You get it? So, through Christ. I understand, but your heart came in agreement with it. So if Consuelo is willing and saying, look, you know what? I'm not going to let this matter and jurisdict my life and rob me. God, let me see like you see. And you're just in agreement. You're willing. You're not letting, you're not saying, God, why and how and when did you, you need to, that's what people do. And then they keep the offense. Here's the power of forgiveness real quick. When you forgive, if I did something to death that was unthinkable, and she didn't forgive me. She's keeping the offense alive. And I don't care how much she avoids me, how much she even smiles on the surface and acts like it's okay. When you don't forgive, the offense still has a voice. It's still alive. And 20 years from now, it'll still be shaping and sculpting her and it'll still have a form and a visual in her life some way, shape, or form. When you forgive, you render the offense powerless. And kill it right there. It's the beauty of the gospel. You get it? Yeah. So we all good? Okay. Tom, real quick. And I, I do have to get to a couple of scriptures. I don't know if that good point was for me or not. I've never abused as a child. I think I was abused as an adult. Um, No, it's good. Let me cut you off a minute. I'm not, I know you're trying to talk. Watch this. Sometimes as we get an adult, we gain a, a rational mind. We get a, and all of a sudden we give ourselves a right to be abused because of things and stuff. Here, here's, I want you to, I don't even 
feel like you need to share what you were going to share. I believe God's doing something here. Because here's the deal. You don't assume the right. Remember how I said you can't emotionally abuse me? It's because of perspective. It's impossible. We gain a knowledge that permits us to be abused. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus abused by men? But was he abused in his heart? Do you think he felt abused? Do you think he lived through the thing? Do you think you could possibly abuse him? But was he abused in reality? Was the beauty of who he was forsaken and mishandled and touched wrong? But do you think you could touch him wrong? He's perfect love. We lose our innocence. As we get older, we gain a knowledge that permits us to be hurt, offended, abused. People have lines they can cross because we draw them. And I feel like God's doing a work in more than you realize of our hearts in this kind of topics and stuff. And I'm excited about it. I, so I wasn't cutting you off. I felt like you don't even need to, sh- to expose or share that. Here's what I, I believe God's tweaking our perspectives, Tom, and showing us, you know what, we're the ones that opened the door for that because of what we believed or didn't understand or, or didn't believe. But the truth is, if people are living abusive, they're the one in trouble our hearts ought to cry for them and feel sorry for them. Right? Isn't that what she said? It's beautiful. And, it, and it's an easy closure and resolve when you see it in the light. It's not even something you have to work through. It's not something process. We, we, have our, we limit the gospel so much we get into this process mentality. The light can come on, guys. Boom. Oh my goodness. Right? Come on. On the love and forgiveness CD, I actually use adultery as my example. And we find our spouse with another person and our immediate instinctive reaction is, how could you do this to me? Instead of, oh my God, what has gone so wrong in you that would allow you to be in that place? And we don't even have the ability, if we're not careful, to hurt for them because they're so lost if they're in that position. Why is it so easy to be hurt? Why is it so quick for us to be the victim? But we have to expose this stuff and talk about it in the church because you have to be, this isn't really a good word, I'm not an English major, you have to be abusable to be abused. Watch. You have to be touchy to be touched. The ruler of this world cometh and has nothing. Oh my goodness, why? He was love. You can't hurt it. It takes no account of a because it doesn't seek its, so it actually seeks the highest best of others. So if somebody's in that place of conduct, why isn't it so natural and instinctive for our hearts to cry in mercy for them instead of cry for ourselves because of them? It's a sure barometer and a sign. All of a sudden, we've reserved the right to be violated, the right to be abused, the right to be offended, and there's lines in my life you can cross wonder if there are none in that sense. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, you're not going to just bite your lip and do that. So I want to get back to her original question yesterday. Okay? Because the Bible says it flip-flops it both ways. This is how we uh, know we love one another because we love God. And there's other places it says this is how we know we love God because we love one another. Did you ever notice that? 
And if you read First John through the chapters of First John, it says, this is how we know uh, we love one another, because we love God. Which means the whole purpose of loving God is to become that love, and we'll love one another. In other places, it says that we know that we love God because we love one another. And there's other places it says we know we love one another because we know God. It flips it because it's all about becoming love. So either way you look at it, it's right. It works, right? But the initial thing is that we don't love God first. God first loved us. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures and I want to purpose to answer the best I understand that question that Consuela asked yesterday, okay? Uh... Okay, I'm going to open my Bible here, and because uh, Pastor's in the room, Don's here, so you know I can just tell he's really scoping me out here and keeping. Just you know, what did I do asking him to teach this school? He hasn't even opened his Bible in three days, so it's a Bible school. Let's open it right now. We know that Corinthians, First Corinthians 13 is all about love, right? It says that if I don't have love, I don't have what? I don't have nothing. If I don't have love, I don't have nothing. That's an extreme statement. You know how we say don't say always and never and stuff like that on the earth? That it's never always or never, never and it's, it's never always. And We say that stuff. Well, the Bible's full of nevers and always. The Bible is so no gray zone. It's so black and white. It's so... For me or against me, gather to me or you scatter. You can be a Christian and sincerely see your need for a savior and your mentality can be against the kingdom. Your mindset could be scattering from him even though you want him to love you. There's, there's, there's paradoxes like that. There's no middle ground. There's nothing gray. There's nothing in the middle. There's no gray zone. There's no lukewarm. Right? If you don't have love, you have... Because everything you're doing is motivated by something. And if it's not love, there's no, there's no fullness. To know the love of Christ is to be filled with all the fullness of God. One of the saddest scenarios in the church is we're trying to serve God, pay our respects to God, obey the word, and outwardly work out our salvation through the sense of strength of flesh and works, and and, and, it, and it gets twisted. That's why we need affirmation, because we're insecure. That's why we can be hurt, because we're not sure. So a lot of the things we do is so we can feel better about ourselves. Because the thing that's motivating us isn't love, it's still our need for love. Are you following me? Did you get that? I'm feeling like only half of us maybe got that. What mot- our motivation to be is love. The goal of all our instruction is love. A lot of things that are motivating us is, is still because we're in need of love. When do you just become loved? Because Christ came. We still need love. That's why we're so easily offended and hurt and turned backwards. And that's why what people say or don't say sometimes is more painful. Because we're still looking for love this way. Okay, watch this. God made man in his image. I don't think he's talking about a head, two arms, and two legs. Okay? Now, you might be amazed when we get to heaven, God looks just like me. (laughs) 
Or do I look just like him? How, whatever. See, we're one. It's his image. I'm just having fun with you. I don't think he's talking about physical appearance. If you look through, study out image, it's who God is. See, love isn't what he does. It's who he is. You get it? So when he made us in his image, he made us just like God. Same heart, same capacity. He told Adam to subdue the earth. He must have been loaded with all that God is. So when God looked at Adam, God saw himself. That's why we are to behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And that we're being transformed into that same image. Our faces must be unveiled. Right? That's beautiful. We're being transformed into the same image. The same image. From glory to glory, right? So the image of God is love. God's nature is love. God is love. Okay? So your creative value is love. Now watch this. To know the love of God is to be filled with all the fullness of God. So we were created. Our created value is to love. And love takes no account of a suffer wrong. Why? Because it doesn't seek its own. So you're not alive for me in that definition. I'm alive for you. When I understand what I'm talking about, it's not just a theological principle. It's something we're talking about in this whole class in school to become. Now watch. What happened in the fall, man got cut off from love. He was still loved by God, but he got separated from the nature of God and from love. That's why he became sin conscious, ran and hid from love. How many of us are Christians and still find ourselves running and hiding from love because of our own lives? And coming up with reasons why He can't love us. You follow me? Come on. He took their fig leaves off. Take yours off. <laughs> Naked before God is okay. Ashamed isn't. <laughs> Prophetic people, turn off your gift. <laughs> okay? <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> Seers. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? Thank God you don't have the gift right now. Just having fun. Look. Look. <laughs> you can see the fall of man in this. When man sinned, he became completely self-conscious. Before he sinned, he was completely God-conscious. Self-conscious, God-conscious. Okay? All of a sudden, the things lost their identity and value around him, even Eve. She came out of the fullness of God in the man when he sinned, when he followed her instead of God's voice. She even lost her value. He became more valuable than she to him. When God said, did you eat the tree? He said, it was the woman you gave me. He was willing to abort God and cut off God and the woman for the sake of himself. He lost the ability to take responsibility, to be humble, and to say, you know what, I did. Man, I should have never eaten the tree, my goodness. No, he was self-defending, self-preserving, self-protecting. Selfishness was rampant now in that. He became a God unto him. The day you eat the tree, you'll be like God. So he submitted to that wisdom to become like God himself. He was already like God. 
but he wanted to be like God in and of himself. That was the nature of the deception. It's as if he was lacking something. So he tried to attain something that God didn't create him for. And he fell. So watch. We're created to love, and all of a sudden man's in desperate need of love because he got cut off from the source of love. But God so loved that he gave his son, and through the seed he crushed the head of the enemy to redeem us back into this place to once again we're in his image and become children of God. It's designed by God that we live by faith and from that point of the fall till you're born again, you're in desperate need of love. You're created to love, but you're in desperate need of love. Why? Because of sin, because of cut off from God. But it's God's intention that you receive to know his love is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Study the word out fullness. It means a house with no empty rooms. It's beautiful. All of a sudden, you owe me nothing, and I owe no man anything but to love. Why? My whole perspective, motive, and purpose for life, and my creative value, everything about me has shifted now because the gospel came. It brought light to me. Now I see it for what it is. And in the secret place of my bedroom with God, my car, wherever I might be, the shower, whatever, I am like, why? Because I'm naked and not ashamed. Shower, I'm just, God. I've been in the shower already and used all the hot water and never touched the soap. amazing you just get caught up it's just you just do I've done that it's like oh oh because <laughs> you're out quick when you're out baby <laughs> it's communion it's you realize why you're created come on how powerful is this if you get alone like she got alone and decided in her heart, not that she broke away on purpose, but she settled in her heart, why hold on to this and let this be who I am? God, I'm willing to see however you see, and I'm just not carrying grudges and issues, and I feel sorry for him. And all of a sudden, a grace comes on her, and all of a sudden, she can look, she can hug him, she's no, there's no bad, there's no memories, and yes, it's possible. Take that testimony and make it your life. That one principle she shared in one situation and make it the heartbeat of your life. Why is there any less grace on that? I bet there's not. Right? What you see, you become. What you see, you become. Here's the deal. Are we willing to let all that go? Are we willing to release men? Of accountability. Are we willing to trust that to God because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and just take on His nature? Are we willing to become love? That's a question you have to ask yourself. I know I am. I'm not going to let one action that you commit rob me of my creative value and my ability to see you through God's eyes if I'm created in His image. Why would I make you God and make you Lord over my life by giving you that kind of power? Come on, I'm talking straight now. You hearing me? What's up? I, I don't, if it wasn't for the fall, would, would there have been babies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there would have been babies. Yeah. Watch this. That's, that's, it's, it's, now you're going to really... Huh. <laughs> of course there would have been babies. Be fruitful, multiply. There's ability to come and have union and communion together. Here's the deal. After the fall, when man and woman come together, everyone was born into Adam. Before the fall, they'd all been born into the 
holiness, intimacy, innocence, and pureness of Christ. So a man and woman have the ability by God today to be in a covenant marriage. Understand that it's not about an orgasm or sexual union or, hey, honey, it's been three days. And come together because of each other's value, because of your desire to love and nurture and protect. And in that place of safety and union and oneness, you conceive a child in the presence of God, in, in love. That's a beautiful thing. That's a good way to start. Are they still in need to be born again, the child and everything? Absolutely. But there's a place for you to come together and actually conceive in the presence of God. There's a place. It's just beautiful. And I don't want to get too much into that. But in the garden, you have to realize then uh, the woman, the desire, her desire became the man, da-da-da, the man, uh, the pornography, the consuelo, talk about and all that stuff. That all came because man sinned. And we lost the beauty of love. And it became all about, so what's pornography? It's nothing but a self-serving fantasy that people cling to. When I finally saw that for what it was, oh my goodness, it was so exposed to me. I, I was never addicted to it, but I sure didn't turn my head from it. Addicted in the sense where I went out of my way to, I guess, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter. When I saw that, for when the light showed me that for what it was, oh my goodness, what freedom. It's nothing but a self-centered, self-serving fantasy and desire that serves yourself at the cost of others. All of a sudden, the man possesses the right to feel aroused or function with a million different people just because they have the right parts and look a certain way to him and he can and function a certain way. And, 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 and we've subverted love. We've perverted love. And then, and then we get a woman in our arms to play that part and tell her we love her. And it's just, we're bankrupt. We're bankrupt from love. No. You know, and then women are forced into the role where they're trying to measure up to that whole exploitation and trying to fit in, measure up and be desirably attractive and be all that stuff. And it makes you one in millions because a man can function with anybody when he's for himself. And we've lost the value and the beauty of intimacy. And many marriages have paid the price of that and are hurting because of that. And I tell you, if us men... We get back in the face of God and just become men of God. And us women, you women, not us women. Us women. <laughs> There's neither male nor female. We're all in Christ. Okay, and us women, we'd, <laughs> we'd start realizing that women were created out of the fullness of God in men and created. You were an avenue for love. You were where love multiplied. You were where love was given. In other words, God made man because God had nowhere to flow and reproduce, so he made one in his likeness, and man had the same thing going, so he brought forth woman. It's all about, you're on the earth because of love, not because of man's need and lust and loneliness. The reason there's woman is because there's man, and the reason there's man is because there's God, and it's all because of love. It's real simple. And you're not another lump of clay. You all came out of the first lump. So like Bob said on Sunday, I loved it. It's not preached that often. You're already one in God and there's equal value. Man and woman. I, I, I see it as equal value that way. And uh, because they were already one in God. He just broke it down because the greatest expression of God is when two wills, two souls, and two lives can come together and join and function in one heartbeat. That's what makes the Godhead so amazing. They're three, but they're one. Think about it. 
Most of the time when we say I love you, it, it actually breaks down to meaning I need you. You're filling gaps in my life and you bless me where I feel needy. That's why when somebody leaves someone, the person they leave is so crushed and devastated and doesn't even want to go on because they can't see them functioning without the need being met by that person because they've locked into them as their lifeline and identity. It's needs driven most of the time. Unfortunately, I'm not putting that on your marriages. And you guys, I'm just saying that the big picture. Relationships are needs driven a whole lot. Well, I'm not getting any younger. Well, I don't know. Man, I'd love to have kids soon. I'm looking for Mr. Right. And, and all of a sudden, it's needs driven. And that's why three years later, somebody can look somebody right in the eyes and say, I don't think I love you anymore. And they seem okay to just walk off. Why? Because something shifted in them. Whatever they needed from you three years before, something shifted and all of a sudden you're devalued now because you're not needed anymore and it almost looks cold and calloused and like they've left you high and dry and the other person can't even function because they're still in desperate need. Christ changes all of that. You can't even be found in that position. Um, so, so when God cursed Eve in the garden and said that from her desire would be for her husband... What, did that verb curse mean that he was just revealing that she would no longer see her identity like, through God, but she, she would try she, to find it in, try to find her worth in relationship with the man? Watch this. Everything that became her mentality through what God spoke, it became her mentality through that fall from that place of cut off from God and love. That's, she's damned and destined to be driven that way apart from Christ. That's how a Christian woman ought to see that. Apart from Christ, that you're destined to live that way, that that's the insecurity and the void and vacuum of your life now because you're apart from your created value. So the, the, the curse of the fall of man. See, Jesus was made to be a curse. He was cursed so we could get back to the blessing. So God didn't curse anybody. There was a reaping of what they've sowed. And he said, this has surely come upon you. Right? And Adam the same. There was words over Adam by the sweat of your brow, etc., etc. And he was created to tend and keep the earth in the grace of God. And now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn your keep, etc., etc. Isn't that how people live? And that's amazing. So, so that's all subject to change once that fullness of love comes back into you. Once you're, I, I've had many young women come to me pastorally and cry and, 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 and struggle with relationships and, and they end up you know, giving themselves to a young man. And, then, and I've had it dozens of times and I would t- try to tell these young ladies who they really are and that need because they weren't growing this way and they weren't just getting in His presence. And knowing. See, if a young lady gets this way and sees who she is, she will never sell short. She would never even consider compromising. Every time we fall into any level of sin, any level of sin, it's just a lack of identity and revelation of who we are in Him and Him in us. It's, a, it's an evidence that we need to grow in our relationship this way. Because it's, it's through identity crisis. Addictive behaviors or esteem issues and identity crises. That's the root of addictive stuff. Pattern stuff. Any cycles in your life. It just means there's a place you haven't been settled in your identity through Christ. Does that make sense? And then I remember one young lady saying, I was talking to her about, you know, being in position for this. And here's what she said. There's no young men out there like that. That's what she told me. So that was her excuse. Well, there's no young men like that. 
So I'll have to give myself to a less than that young man. That's what she was saying. I said, absolutely not. You're a prize to be won. You stand in position and you draw Christ out of a young man. You become such a prize and such a woman of honor and such a vessel of holiness that you absolutely make a draw on a young man's heart that Christ be formed in him. And she went, oh, okay. (laughs) True? Why not be a prize to be won? Not why, why not stand in the integrity and presence of God and be so wow in Christ? Not wow in the flesh. I'm talking wow in Christ. It's not the adorning of the flesh. It's that beautiful person of the heart. Right? And you become so amazing in that sense that it actually draws Christ up and out of someone. So two can become one. You see? Or there's insecurity rooted behind it all. You're just trying to get their attention, get them to look at you, the whole rat race of what we've all been through in our lives. It's all driven by insecurity, uncertainty. Oh my God, he really likes you. Ah! And we think that's all cool. We think that's like normal. And that's like, well, just as quick as he really likes you, he could curse you. And right after you're married, he could, be, he could sleep with you at night and wake up and demean you in the morning. And now you're caught in the feelings of what's going on. And I thought he loved me. And oh, my God. And next thing you know, it's just whatever. It's, we, we, these stories are they're by the dozens. <sighs> the words I love you have been so misused. I don't even speak them that much in my life. I think our lives should just say I love you. You know, my grandpa never said I love you. I never heard him say I love you. I always knew he loved me. He didn't ever have to say I love you. I knew he loved me. He wasn't a huggy, affectionate man either. I didn't need him to hug me. I knew he loved me. I was safe when I was around him. I was accepted when I was around him. He didn't even cuddle me and hug me. I don't even remember my grandpa ever hugging me. He was that kind of man. He thought it was not good to cry. I really challenged him once I got saved because I cried more than most women and I'd get around him and talk about Jesus and cry and he'd get a little nervous. And I remember one day I was on my knees in the dining room just bawling and talking to him about Jesus and my grandmother's bawling and he's just sitting there like, wow, Danny, pull together here, buddy. (laughs) Don't you understand? He's so amazing. Ah, I just love you guys. I was at home and and my, my, my spirit man rose up in me. I was like, And the Lord said, your grandparents don't even know who you are. They don't realize what's happened in your life. They don't know who you are. They don't understand. It was important to God. I went, and I realized it was true because they just still saw me as Danny. I leaped in my truck and drove to their house. I walked in the house and said, I just came to see you guys. I realized you don't even know who I am. Oh, I was so blubbery. It was blubber. Just stuff everywhere. It was bad. (laughs) But I knew he loved me because he lived, I love you. Sometimes we're so pushovers just to the words, no, I love you. Yeah, I love you. I really do. Oh, I love you. Really? Really? Yeah, I love you. Oh. Come on. It's true. You know, you live a mess and then a holiday or a birthday or Valentine's Day. I love you. I just, we've all been there so we can learn from that and make sure we're never there. 
I remember treating my wife so terrible. And on the nights I was off work, I would treat her like a princess because I knew I was home. And I was thinking of nighttime. It's horrible. I would treat her like the best thing there ever was. When I worked second shift and had to go to work, whatever. That's horrible. I remember doing that as a degenerate man. After a while, it took a toll on her heart. Okay, enough said on all that. It's just, man, why wouldn't we want to die to us so we could live unto him? Why would we want to live at another person's expense if he died for us? Come on. That challenges us, doesn't it? Why would I live at your expense when I'm called to love you? Why would I make it about you towards me when it's about me towards you? That stuff you have to settle in your heart and through prayer. Just like you prayed about your daddy, you have to pray about this stuff and yield yourself and put yourself, just be willing for grace to mold you. Just be willing for the Spirit of God to make it your reality. Sometimes it's as simple as getting alone in a room and saying, I release everybody. Nobody owes me nothing. I know it sounds like words to my mind, but my heart wants that, God. You created me to love and love I shall. And I thank you for the work you're doing in me. I'm not lacking in any good thing. That's faith. Or you're going to critique yourself and introspect yourself and come up short all the time. And then you'll get discouraged and back off and settle for something less than your heart cry. Does this make sense? This, this, you can't do this without this here. Okay? So, okay. That's, and that's what I want to close with. Watch this. So it talks about if you have love, if you don't have love, you don't have what? Anything. Because then love's not your motivation and there has to be something. I mean, if you would give all your goods to the poor, it seems noble. That seems beneficial and like a good work. Right? And your body to be burned, etc. That's in chapter 13. But you don't have love? You've got nothing. Why? Because you're doing it for some other reason. You're doing it to be seen. You're doing it to make a name for yourself. You're doing it to, so that they put a statue in the city someday and just say you were amazing. Do you know it's possible for people to face the reality that they're going to die and, and then they just do a bunch of noble deeds to just so that they write books about them in history and they just believe that their name will be honored and da-da-da-da-da. has nothing to do with Jesus. What it's saying is if it's love, it's nothing. It's forgotten. Heaven will never remember it. The world might make a statue for you, but that statue's not in heaven. Because it's not to the glory of God. It's to the glory of man. It's not about love then. It's about selfish. So the only reason you did good, you did good for your own sake. So it looks like good, and people even benefited from your act of what seemed to be charity, but the underlying motive was for your own sake and how men would respond to you. That's what makes it bleh. Does that make sense? Because then it's not love. So you just read through that chapter whenever you get a chance. Just meditate and dwell in there if you want to. But let me just start in verse 4, because I, I just want to touch some areas. Love suffers long. Love is kind. doesn't envy, it's not jealous, it doesn't parade itself around, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave rudely, it doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked, oh my goodness, it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in sin or iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Jessalyn, you know why I'm always excited? Because God's perfecting love in me. 
and I rejoice in truth. You get it? Did you see that right there? Oh my goodness. Do you get that? So when love's being perfected in you, you see things for the way they are in Him. Not the way they seem and feel. So your heart's always encouraged in love. You get it? That's why I'm so flaky. (laughs) There's a neat story about her life. It won't embarrass her. I met her a while back in Chicago. Well, it was in Illinois. It was about an hour west, northwest, northwest, hour northwest of Chicago. And she said, when I prayed over her, everything that I prayed was exactly what stuff she was thinking, talking about, praying, conversation. She said it was like scary to the T, spot on stuff. And it was like always. And she started to smell a fragrance of Christ there. And God was revealing himself to her just through a person, just privileged to be in that position. But here's what I told her Monday when she told me that story. I said, God can entrust you with that kind of stuff because he can entrust it to his own heart. When you become love, he can show you anything because you'll handle it rightly. You'll speak it. He can. It's like he's giving it to himself. But it impacted her so much because she realized that kind of reality is available. God, just things got clearer, brighter, touched her. Because at that time, she was saying, God, do you even hear me? Da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, (laughs) yeah, I guess you do. (laughs) Now watch. This won't embarrass her. This this will be good. You'll be fine. Monday, this little thought came in her and started to cause her to struggle from the very beginning of the time when we were teaching. Because I said, you have to accept this gospel first for you. You have to let it be so personal. Jesus died for you. And she stumbled in her mind because this little thought's there saying, well, he died for us. It's not just about me and he died for me. And there's this little thought that would try to keep you from receiving it personal where it becomes your revelation. And, you know, you can see yourself in the, but the gospel speaks to you a lot. You see? So we just spent time back here talking about that. These are the little things that creep in our minds, the little ways, sometimes the little foxes that spoil the fruit that wants to grow on the vine. So one little thought that fails to take his love personal because it's justified and says, well, it's a corporate thing. We're a body. We're a people. And all of a sudden there's a language that masks it and around it to make it sound acceptable and keep her from receiving something so vital. You follow? That little, one little thought. Watch this. And wrong conception or perception could rob your life for years. Years. So he died for you. Yes, you. (laughs) And you're his favorite. So am I. (laughs) Don't panic. So am I. Do you see that? He died for you. And we got talking about it. And she said, yeah, but if it was just me, etc. I said, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. He has a flock of a hundred sheep, the good shepherd. And he will leave 99 to go get one. Don't tell me he didn't die for you. You, you, you. (laughs) You get it? So don't fight the truth when the truth's your best friend. And it's here to make you free. Don't come up with a reason why not when he says yes. That's getting back to the fall and your mind is still God. And you're wrestling. Humility receives. Pride resists. When God says you're lovable, just be lovable. And say, okay, you really made me lovable. Don't say, well, yeah, but you don't know my life. Yes, he does. Yeah, but brother, you don't understand. I bet he does. 
Do you know how we're almost trained to talk ourselves out of something so good? That was the other thing Jessica Lynn said. She said, but it just sounds so good. I said, it is. It's good news. <laughs> the angel said, good tidings of great joy. So if there's not great joy, we're not interpreting the good tidings. Clear. Good tidings of. That means the great joy flows out of the understanding of the tidings. So just the understanding of truth brings great joy. So that's some of what's wrong with me. So she says, you're excited about everything. It's because I understand the good tidings. Great joy is the automatic response. Can't help it. I don't have to try to be that way. I just start talking about it. My heart bubbles up. Why? It's good tidings. Amen? Okay. So verse 14, it talks all about love here. And it says, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is? Why? Because the motive's pure. If the root's good, fruit's good. Make a tree good, right? This fruit will be good. So look how chapter 14 starts out. First two words. He just establishes that love is the greatest. So chapter 14 says, it's all one book, by the way. It's just one big letter. So he says, so what? Pursue love. Pursue love. Think about that. What does that mean? Pursue love. Oh yeah, desire spiritual gifts. I'm not making light of spiritual gifts. You go ahead and desire spiritual gifts, but before you ever desire spiritual gifts, guess what? You're pursuing love. Some people aren't pursuing love, they're desiring spiritual gifts, and flowing in the spiritual gift makes them feel worthy. (laughs) Don't get caught in that stuff. What's the Bible tell you to do? Pursue love. Man, if you would really think about that and study it out and define what that must mean, pursuing love. If the only measuring stick of love is Christ crucified in His life revealed and God is love and Jesus became the Word and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, then I'm pursuing the revelation of love through Christ in His life, the message He made and the message He sent to me and who I am through Him coming. I meditate there. I camp there. I dwell there. I pursue that revelation. It's the pursuit of my life. You get it? When I got born again, I spent five weeks, not telling you to break away for five weeks. It was just the grace I was in. But I felt like literally, now that I look back on it, that Holy Spirit led me into that place like He led Jesus into the wilderness. I went into my bedroom and pursued love for five weeks and didn't pray for nobody or nothing. I just pursued love, pursued the heart of God. I prayed stuff like, God, I would have said I was a confessing Christian my whole life and my heart was a mess. I was a wretch inside. God, I want to be just like you. I want to love like you and walk like you. I don't want to just say I'm a Christian. I want to manifest your heart. And I thank you that you're willing to make that happen. Everything I'm reading here says you've already been on my side. And I would just be real and share what I was finding in the Word. And for five weeks, I camped there. And ask Him to mold my heart and make my heart just like His. Cause me to see myself the way you see me so I can see everyone around me the same. I didn't even feel like I was changing. Everybody around me was going, dude, what is up with you? In four days, my coworkers got a man to come in, assigned a spokesman on their behalf. In four days after my conversion experience, I didn't tell anybody what happened to me. In four days, they sent a man into the bathroom on behalf of everybody I worked with to find out what happened, what's going on with me. Mm. 
in four days. I didn't say one word about Jesus. I didn't even mention Jesus. In four days, I was just growing and I was just seeking. And apparently there was a change in my outward life and expression that was so obvious to them it was freaking them out. And they sent a messenger in to find out what it was. Now they behind the scenes said, maybe he went holy roller. Oh, I hope he didn't go holy roller. That was their fear. And the guy said, you didn't go holy roller on us, did you? I said, let me tell you what happened. And I told him, he said, oh my God, you did go holy roller. (laughs) But when he came to me and said, what's going on with you? What happened to you? I said, what do you mean? Oh, come on. That's what he said. Oh, come on. He said, you are so different. This whole week, you're so different. Everybody's talking about, we want to know what's going on. What's going on with you, man? I said, I don't know why you're asking me that and what you really mean. What are you seeing? Well, he said, for one thing, you're so polite, it makes me sick. That's what he said. That's what it, warehouse guy, cursing every other word. You got to say five curse words to get out one English word. That's how we were. You weren't even talking if you didn't do that. And I said, well, polite is good. Polite never hurt anybody. Oh, Dan, come on. What's going on, man? You didn't go holy roller, did you? I said, well, I don't know if I went holy roller, but let me tell you what happened four days ago and tears filled my eyes. I I began to share the wretchedness I saw in my heart and the selfishness and how I was all about me and and the people that I said I loved, I hurt the most and everything was self-intended. I started telling him all this. He said, whoa, whoa, wait, let me ask you this. Are you going through a hard time in your life? Is your marriage in trouble? Are you this? Are you that? Because people lean on these kind of things as a crutch and da-da-da-da-da. This man's an atheist but proclaims there's no God. When his dad was dying of cancer on his deathbed, he, he, he started to read a Bible and he took the Bible out of his dad's hand and said, Dad, knock it off. My whole life you told me there wasn't a God and now you're dying. Be man enough to die. Don't be afraid and act like there's a God and create some God just because you're dying. And he, that's what he did. I pulled him aside and affronted him with tears one day on it because he was teaching his kids the same way. And I said, wonder if you're wrong. He said, wonder if I'm right. I said, if you're right, then nothing's lost if you just leave them come to their own understanding. Because he said to me, wonder if you're wrong, Dan. I said, if I'm wrong, all I've done is a lot of good to a lot of people and I've hurt no one and I've blessed and I've sowed good seed. I said, if you're wrong, you took life out of your daddy's hand and now you're deciding your own kid's mind. Sounds like you're God on the earth. And I really got straight with him. Because I was sharing some testimonies and his kids shook their head and walked away. He told me in a couple months I would be the same old guy I always was. Two and a half years later I was going to be a full-time pastor. And I was more in love than ever before. And I reminded him of those words. And every time I bump into him, God lets me bump into him every few years. And I say, hey, man, are you living Jesus yet? And I'm like, oh, and I attack him, I hug him, get all over him. He was in a marketplace, and I was there, and he stayed on the bench. I had a booth, and he brought his, left his kids and wife come around, and he didn't even come around because he knew I was up there. He stayed down at the other end on the bench. He's a boisterous, belligerent fellow that loves putting you on the spot and making you feel uncomfortable in public. That's the kind of guy he is. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to give him some of his own medicine. Morningstar Marketplace, people everywhere. I come out and I look down the hall. Hey! Hey! Yeah, you! And people are looking at her. I'm screaming. So a man turns to Jesus. He's a friend all his life. He turns to Jesus. You can't even talk to him now? What's up? I love you, man. Get up here! And he's like, 
just coming the whole way up, and he comes to me, and I grab him, I'm squeezing him. He picked, he's a big bear kind of guy. He picked me up. He said, you're absolutely insane. I said, I'm out of my mind. I'm out of your mind. I've been tucked in the mind of Christ for years. And I always remind him, remember you told me in a couple months I'd be the same? I said, what are we now, like 13 years down the road? I am so in love. And he's like, But see, that speaks to people because that's longevity. You know what he told me in the beginning? He said, when you ever come off of this high, you are going to crash so hard because you're living in a fantasy. Don't you let the devil lie to you. This thing isn't too good to be true. It's just his goodness. It's way bigger than anything you and I have ever bumped into. it, It makes it feel like a fairy tale. But it's who he is. Amen? Little side thoughts, side notes, just living as examples. I don't even know how I get into all that. But I know how I did. I didn't know I was changing. I wasn't biting my lip trying to live different. I was communing and engaging with him and giving him my heart and surrendering myself to him and believing that he desired me, one to live in me and mold me and shape me like a great potter. And I would just, what's clay do? What's the only power of clay? To yield. The only thing clay does, it's in position to be yielded. If clay's not in the right condition and position, the potter can't even use it. You have to put it on the shelf, wet it down, sit it for a while. Come on. If the clay's not pliable, if it's not in a a good place, he can't even make what he's capable of making because the clay's not in the place. So if you're fighting with his ability to love you or that he does love you, if you're fighting and weighing your own life against his grace and goodness, you might find that you're not in his hands being molded and shaped like he could be. You're resisting the potter's hand. Do you get it? Come on, you're his workmanship created in Christ. Right? You're like, ta-da! He wants to take the sheet and... <laughs> it's you under that sheet image of God you got to think that way the last thing you need is just doctrine you need God reality this way you just don't want to know well Jesus loves me man it's one thing to say Jesus loves you it's another thing to become lost and, 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 and be the expression of that love some people claim he loves me all the more just because they're so hurt and devastated and so broken this way. Well, Jesus loves me. Well, at least Jesus loves me. Well, I know he'll never break my heart. And all you're doing is saying my heart's been so broken because I've subjected it to man. And you're clinging onto some language that seems to be preserving you in your Iraq. I've seen that so much as a pastor. We think to say the right things. No, it's to believe the right things. I say this all the time. It's good to be loved. Who knows it's good to be appreciated and loved? But it's only healthy when you already know you're loved and appreciated. It's only really healthy when it's not needed. (laughs) You all all alright? If I need you to affirm me, I probably ought to grow here. Because then when you affirm me, it's healthy and not needed. It can create a sickness in me where now all of a sudden I'm living in a way to get the affirmation of men. And I'm actually called to love you. Okay? Pursue love. Just think about what the Bible's saying. Pursue love. Ephesians, real quick. Ephesians 
In verse 20, it says, You have not so... Ephesians 4. You have not so learned Christ. He's talking about not living like the world anymore now that the gospel's come to your life. And see, I'm, I'm concerned when I read this. I'm like, Lord, in my prayer times, in my, my communion time with God, I'm like, I know what Paul was writing then because he preached a real thorough gospel to the people. But I'm not so sure this relates to today. And how this, not all of us have, have learned Christ the way Paul taught Christ. We've got a very, very, what do you call that? A condensed version, a very limited view. He says, look, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in who? It's in Jesus. So the life of Jesus is the revelation of love. The life of Jesus is the revelation of your life. Everything's in and through Jesus. That's why he's your everything. He's not your everything because he meets your needs and gets you out of trouble. He's your everything because without him you'd have no identity or purpose for being. Do you know how we sing them songs, you're my everything? That's not just because he meets all our needs and fills our vats and barns and, and is the provider of our life. He's our everything because we find ourselves through him. Did you get it? Are you all getting it or are you tired? You guys tired? You are tired, aren't you? I can feel it. Somebody's tired. Who's tired? Be honest. Okay. God, wake him up for 10 more minutes. I'm not tired. I've been standing on my feet for a while, but my heart's singing. <laughs> Probably my body's tired. You know, you guys are just sitting there. I got the easy part. When I do power and love conferences, I know how it is because them guys are teaching Todd and Bob and I'm sitting there after going out and eating lunch, going out and we're praying for people and we'll come back and I'm sitting and they're teaching for like Two, two hours the second session it's two what time is it like 2.30 to 4.30 about an hour and a half into it I'm like maybe I ought to just act like I'm praying <laughs> I'm serious like I don't even know how to stay awake sometimes and then what they're teaching is good but I understand when you're just sitting like that that's why we take that little break but uh, no I know what it's like Sometimes I don't even fight it. I just lay down on the chair and close my eyes and try to listen. And after a while, I wake up. No, serious. Your teaching was good, dude. I was just... I was soaking. (laughs) You were soaking all right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, I know what it's like. It's not like... Yeah. Because I know the preaching's good. That ain't why you're sleeping. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, you got to catch this stuff in your Bible. As the truth is in, who's the truth in? In nothing else. He's not a truth, he's the truth. Come on. That you put off concerning your former conduct. So everything about before Christ, everything, mindsets, motives, conduct, everything about your former life is now trashed. It's put off. It's the old man. He's just going to grow more corrupt. Why hold on to his ways? Look, be renewed in the what? Spirit of your mind that you put on the who? The new man. Who's the new man? Created according to God. So you're the will of God. Your Christianity is the will of God. Your salvation is the will of God. Look, in true righteousness, that means you're right with God. It's true righteousness. It's not something you're making up. You have been made right with God. And it's a righteousness that will never fail. His blood will speak on your behalf forever. Okay? And holiness. 
So we put away the lying and all these things of the flesh. Look down at verse 32. Oh, let him who stole, verse 28. Let no corrupt word, verse 29, etc., etc. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away. How do you do that without getting into works and just trying to not be that way? You put it away from you. You put it away from your identity. You let it be put away from you. Father, I thank you that is not who I'm created for. I am not a man ruled by anger. I thank you that my heart is being transformed into love. I'm a born-again man. If you'd have heard how I prayed when I got saved, some Christians would have tried to stop me and tell me to find balance. And they would have said, well, brother, you've got to face reality. It's kind of like that thing I was telling you about the denial. Don't be afraid of denial. I know Christians, if they'd have heard me praying when I got saved, they'd have said, now, brother, everybody has their moments. You're going to have your days. You can't be praying like that. because You need to face the reality. You're still going to have those things in your life. And I would declare boldly that I was changed forever. If you just saw me, I was like a little kid running through my bedroom. You, you have no idea. I would jump. When I first got saved, first couple weeks, and five weeks I told you about, I was getting so established, I would be like, I'm born again. <laughs> Serious, you have no idea how flaky I was. In that, because it was an establishing time for me. Now, I'm still flaky, but it's just a little more calculated. Back then, I was just... Really, I would walk, I would get so excited, I'd run around, it's a wonder I didn't wear a path. Because I can tell you, I can write what I used to do. I would go around the bed and up to my dresser, go back this way, around the bed and to Kimmy's dresser, and I would just go back and forth, back and forth, and I would just pace, and I would be talking a hundred mile an hour, my heart was exploding. I'm born again, everything's brand new. Never again will I be consumed by strife and stress and anger and frustration. All things are new. Oh my goodness, Lord, your nature's in me, your heart's in me, your love is who I am. I would just proclaim that. And I would make phrases like, never again will anger rule my heart. Never again will the sin of selfishness live my life for me. God, I'm free. Yay, I'm free. I would read something about being delivered out of the power of darkness and it would kick off in me and I'd get up off the bed and go, I'm delivered! Ah! I'll never again be bound! I'm free! Yay! And I would just... You have no idea how I would do that. For weeks I did that and that truth became established in me. I don't even pray those things anymore. I thank Him for them at times. I touch it with thanksgiving. But I don't pray those things. They become a reality to me. They're just the way it is. They get established. How else do you establish your heart? You settle what faith is and what you believe and what your desire is and you enter into prayer. So grace, what we talk about Monday, grace takes you there. You dare believe it's possible. You know how many Christians don't believe what I'm saying is even possible? Because we weigh ourselves so short and less than grace. I have cried with tears running down my face on my knees in my bedroom saying, Father, don't let one drop of grace available through the cross of Jesus miss my life. I don't want to sell it short. Open my eyes and heart because you can do exceedingly abundantly above whatever I ask, think, or imagine. And Lord, I don't want one ounce of grace to miss my life. Whatever is available through the cross and through the resurrection, come upon my life and mold me and shape me and make me the man of God. You made me to be. I will not limit you. I thank you. We are one. Just talk like that. Pray like that. And just drive and pray like that. All of a sudden it gets excited and you'll get real in you. It doesn't always feel like you're just saying it. Even if it feels like you're just saying it, is it true? So then don't say, well, it just feels like I'm just saying it. So? 
Believe it in your heart, and with your mouth you make confession unto salvation. Believe it with your heart, out of your heart your mouth speaks. You can find what a lot of people believe if you'd really weigh their prayer life, if you would really think about what comes out of your mouth and, your, and what you pray and how you get focused. Sometimes you go in the bedroom and all of a sudden you're identifying with yourself and everything that's wrong and it takes you 20 minutes to get past you just to get to God. That's not a good day. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So watch this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ, what? So you're not forgiving so you're forgiven. You're forgiven because you're forgiving because you're forgiven. That's how grace works. You, 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 don't interpret, don't interpret, you know, when Jesus quoted, you know, forgive, least you may be forgiven. You can get legalistic. You forgive because you're forgiven. So as you receive forgiveness and you understand you're forgiven, there's a mercy that builds in your heart that starts forgiving others. Why? Because that same grace on your life is flowing through your life. You see, you've been forgiven. How can I forgive you? God forgave me of everything. I can't, I can't relieve you of $500 debt if God forgave me of millions of dollars of debt. If you take that parable about the, the man in prison and the, 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 you know what they owed, the talents and the denarii and stuff, back... 20, 15 years ago when I was first saved, I heard a message on that. The pastor did today's currency and that and tried to bring it to today. And it was $19 million versus 500. He just, just for a place for us to grab. So God, the man, the jailer in the sense, it's God the Father. He forgave a man $19 million of debt and he imprisoned his brother for 500. And he called that an evil and wicked servant. Why? Because you receive that forgiveness to become that forgiveness. It's not a self-serving forgiveness. Watch. You don't receive that forgiveness so you can go to heaven. You receive that forgiveness so you become that forgiveness. You receive that love so you become that love. You receive that mercy, so you become that mercy. Why? Because you created in the image of God. And everything that He's become in your life is so you become in others. Does that make sense? We haven't been taught that most our lives. It's been about praying for our sake and praying for our needs to be answered and fear still drives us and where are you, God? And I know you'll pull through because I think you love me. It's kind of where we've been demeaned to. Do you get this? We forgive. Why? Because we're forgiven. Therefore, because of this, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. You see what he's saying? Be imitators of God as dear children, walk in love. What's your example? As Christ loved. Now look, look what he did. He gave himself for us. So how do I follow that? I give myself for you. Come on, this is simple. Okay. Go to Philippians real quick. I've got about six minutes. I'm going to try to do something real quick. Thanks, Jesus. 
Therefore, verse 1, Philippians 2, if there's any consolation in Christ or encouragement, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. We're all in this thing for the same reason, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. How can we in our great diversity and giftings and callings and, and things that God has even put in our hearts respectively, how can we be of one mind and one accord? Because we're all Christians for the same reason. We all woke up today for the same purpose. We're all running for the same goal, to manifest His image. You might, you might have children just pressing on your heart. Someone else might have missions burning in their blood. But we can all wake up for the same exact reason and be one accord and have the same reason we're Christians, right? It's beautiful. Now watch. Let nothing, oh my goodness, nothing. Bible's pretty clear. Nothing be done through selfish ambition. Why? Because we become love. And if you have love, you have nothing. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also the interest of one another. Now look how he intensifies this. And let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but if he's going to define what was in Jesus' mind, I want to pay attention and become that. He's telling you what made him tick. See, we've gotten this way in the body of Christ. Well, I have the mind of Christ. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, you probably do, but it's not realized. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Oh, I have the mind of Christ. Well, oh, I have the mind of Christ. Oh, that's not even what he's saying. Let this mind be in you. He's talking about motivation, guys. He's talking about what makes you tick. Oh, let this mind, who being in the form of God, did not consider Robert to be called equal with God. Okay? That's amazing. Come on. He didn't see it as a thing to be grasped or held on to. He was just, well, I'm a child of God. Well, I'm this and I'm royalty. Well, I'm this. To where all of a sudden you're demanding things and, and calling forth preference and favor. And, yeah. Which is what we do. That's the twisted view. No, it actually makes you humble. You begin to wash someone's feet. Oh, you do. Yeah, that was a mess. Don't you ever pull nothing like that again. <laughs> ever. <laughs> The greatest among you is the servant of all. It's amazing. Watch this. Who being a son. He was a son. He was a son. But guess what he did? He made himself of what? No reputation. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't even asking men to esteem him, to take of him, to partake of him, to reap of him, to eat of him, to be reproduced of him, right? He wasn't asking for honor. In the sense that we know honor. He was asking for men to partake of him. Watch this. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a... Come on. He's the Son of God. And he came in the likeness of flesh to show us what flesh is to look like. And what it was created to look like. Is this true or not? Was this mind in Christ? So he wasn't high-minded and haughty even though he was the Son of God. The only be a firstborn among many. Watch. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. But he was a son, wasn't he? And he was still the son of God, wasn't he? 
But he came in the appearance as what? Now look what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then it talks about, therefore God has exalted him. So here's, here's how God responds to humility. He exalted him. It's First Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time he'll lift you up. You're not doing it to be lifted up. You're doing it because you're humble. The response is just a grace that exalts and lifts up and exposes things. In time, he was highly exalted, given the name above every name, that every name Jesus should bow, uh, of Jesus, uh, every knee should bow, and those in heaven, and those on the earth, and under the earth, they would all bow to the name of Jesus, that every tongue would confess, surely Jesus Christ is absolutely Lord, to the glory of the Father. And then he flips it to us. Therefore, because of this, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation and fear. Realize you're following Jesus. You're a Christian to follow Jesus. You're not waiting to go to heaven. You're following his example and you're walking out after his life by faith. That's what he's saying. Look, he says, because it's God who's working in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. And because we've become love, because we're following Jesus, because we've considered ourselves of no reputation and we've settled that in a place of prayer and exchanged that back to God for who we are created to be in God. We do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? Because our perspective allows us to. We're not even thinking of complaining. See, it's not about biting your lip and saying, okay, I'm not supposed to complain. No, the potential to complain, the ability to complain, the mentality that embraces complaining gets wiped out of you. It's not in you because of what you've become. You're not fighting against sin like we think we are. I, I, I had this man, like when I got saved, I used to curse. You have no idea how I used to swear. Oh, it was just terrible, but it was only at work. I would never swear around my wife or kids. It was just at work because I was one of the guys, but I would swear terribly. I never tried to stop swearing when I got saved. I didn't say, oh, you know, I shouldn't talk like that. Oh, all things became new. It wasn't in me anymore. My coworkers said, man, you don't even swear anymore. I said, I can't. They said, what do you mean you can't? It's not in me anymore. It's, I, it's not even there. It's not me. It's not, he's there. He's filled every void. I remember a man came to our church years ago, uh, Dumphy, his name was, from Africa, a missionary. And he said, when I got saved, I used to drink and curse and smoke and all this stuff. He said, and when I got saved, he said, I just didn't do it anymore. I just became in love. See, it's not about, it's like the old farmers, you know. You get the old farmers, they're over the fence, they're leaning over the fence. Well, hey, Sam, I heard you're a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. This is Pastor Don joke, you know, one of these things he will tell on a Sunday. He says, well, what makes you a Christian, Sam? He said, well, he said, I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't run with the women. Other farmers stood there and thought, hmm, well, then I guess my mule's a Christian. <laughs> We're not Christians because of what we do or don't do. We're Christians because of what we become. And what we become determines what we do and don't do. You live out of becoming. You're becoming love. You're becoming the nature of God. So, uh, I can't even answer her question. I'll have to do it next week. I never did answer your question, Consuela. She says, how do I love God? We still didn't answer it. We have 13 weeks to answer this question. Well, 12. 12. We will answer it. Listen, real simple. You can only love God because He first loved you. And the more you dwell and meditate on the fact that you had desperate need of forgiveness, that your heart 
was selfish. If you just sit there and realize that for a little, that you had need of the blood and the blood was shed and given because love made it possible. Love shed its blood. And you just meditate there and you ask Holy Spirit to make that your reality. And all of a sudden you'll realize the nature of God is so amazing. You've never been touched by anybody like God. You've never been treated by anybody like God. You've never been shown favor by anybody like God. So I meditate on those things and dwell on those things. And I look in Scripture every way that Jesus manifested love so I can follow it. You see? And in prayer, I begin to just, you know, God, I just so say yes. I am created in your image and I affirm it continually in my heart. It's become a reality to me. I actually don't affirm it much anymore. It's just the way it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to remind myself my name's Dan Moeller. Serious. There came a time in my life very long ago that I realized I was named Dan. I don't have to walk the floor and say, okay, I'm Dan, I am Dan. (laughs) Serious. There comes a place in your life because you pursue, you're a son. You're not trying to affirm, you're a son. I'm a son. I said, I tell people I'm way past debate. This thing is settled in my heart. You're way too late to talk me out of it because nobody talked me into it. Grace made it my reality. You see what I mean? So, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts. Receive this. I'm going to pray a prayer of grace. Because there's a lot of feelings stirred today. And there was a lot of things. Even Tom's expression in heart. I commend it. That was awesome. That was humility. That was actually, some of those things are the the, uh, doorway to your breakthrough in freedom. Because you see what you weren't seeing. And God's putting light on it. And through testimony. Yeah. All of a sudden you go. And just seeing it is your freedom. Just seeing it, just the, the lies exposed and all of a sudden, whoa, and, and it's just done and you settle it. Things can be resolved like that. Your life can change in a moment because what you didn't see, you see. You know, <gasps> what's that look like? Truth making you free. <gasps> oh my goodness, yeah. They could be that simple. So Father, I just thank you for grace on our lives, for truth in our hearts and just thank you that you are turning our heart in such a way to your face, to your love, that all we see is your love and live from that place. Thank you, you're forming us and molding us. Father, I would ask that you would would just teach us and show us more and more individually, respectively, every person in this room, right where they're at, you would meet them and just show them your goodness, show them how your father nature is there, how you nurture them, how you show mercy, how you care intimately. Just make these things so real to our hearts. Let us see it through the word. Let us see it by the spirit. And thank you for transforming our lives. Just pray strength in the inner man through every person in this place by the Spirit of God and the revelation of love in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. You're awesome.